and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Are we loveless? And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Strackbine. So good to have you back on the show this week, Matt. Yeah, glad to be back. Yeah. I'm excited to dig into the Lobster Johnson stories, especially this one with you, right? <laughs> yeah, you can you can imagine how unhappy I was when I realized there were more versions of that one character. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was wondering what your, your reaction was going to be to yeah. that. <laughs> I guess we always kind of knew, right? Yeah, right. we had we've if had some hints for sure. Yeah, yeah, but then you know, yeah, why not rub it in? <laughs> <laughs> All right, as always, book club members, give us some reviews, shout us out on social media, tell a friend, grab random people off the street, shake them by the shoulders like a madman, do and not just say, do that, Hellboy Book Club, until someone wheels you away in a straitjacket. It'll really help the show. <laughs> Check out all of our pals at Mignolaverse.com, like Mignola's art on Facebook, the Mignolaverse subreddit on Reddit, support all the artists on the book, follow them on social media as well, buy their original art and prints, and check out Matt over at the Letterhack podcast. I also wanted to give a shout out to a podcast that I listen to called Twin Peaks Unwrapped. You know, this is kind of off topic, but I'm a huge Twin Peaks David Lynch fan, and this podcast by Ben and Brian has actually provided me a lot of inspiration for the show. They go through each episode and they talk about the differences between the episode and the script and all the little trivia and from actors, from the interviews, what they've said and what the different directors have said. And so I've kind of taken a lot of that into this show, you know. That's cool. They provide a lot of anecdotes and trivia and behind-the-scene knowledge. And so this week they announced that on their 200th episode that this is going to be their last year. So hats off to them for a great job. Check them out if you love Twin Peaks or anything David Lynch like us. They don't just cover the Twin Peaks TV show. They cover everything, which is something that we're doing and planning to continue as we go along. So just wanted to shout out that great podcast. And now we're going to move on to some listener feedback. Get out, trade some floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along time. Get out, trades and floppies. Get out. We got a Hey You Damn songwriter from Paul from Gardaharn. Hey. hey. Glad you like the birthday song. To answer your question, I wrote and played guitar in a grunge band 20 plus years ago. The book club songs are the only ones I've written in all that time since. I mostly play jazz piano badly in the back room just for myself now. I used to get really nauseated before a gig from the adrenaline and don't think I could play for other people anymore. My last public performance was 10 years ago, doing a few covers with my brother and the wedding band drummer at my sister's wedding. It went over so well, I'll end my music career there on a high. (laughs) And so he sent me some clips that I'll insert of him playing piano, and they're really good. I he think says he's great. badly. Yeah. They're, they're cool. really great pieces. I so, put yeah. on the birds playlist for their room. Tomorrow. Yeah. I can't wait to hear them. Our birds love listening to jazz, they so do. yeah, we'll yeah. put it on their playlist for sure. Mostly Dave Brubeck Quartet. Yeah. And for what it's worth, like Matt, my vote would definitely be to keep the original Only Beast introduction, which we all love. Please don't change it. Apart from anything, the birthday song is already outdated with the hashtag permanent strackbine apologies to matt so yeah <laughs> now he's got to add a verse he's got to add a verse about you matt <laughs> oh cool yeah that's awesome 
He said, I'm really glad my theory about Howard's sword passed scrutiny by the group. Pushes nerd glasses emphatically up the bridge of his nose in a recognized nerd dominance display behavior. <laughs> I wonder if any of the connected book club listeners can put my theory in front of Scott Alley, Katie O'Brien, or even Mignola. Probably too much to ask, but since they don't attend conventions in the UK much, I'm unlikely to get the chance myself. He also said Jason Abaddon's comment that Hellboy's baby hen is out there somewhere reminded me of this picture I took in St. Stephen's Church in Budapest in May this year. It's allegedly containing the perfectly preserved hand of St. Stephen. The story goes that it was noticed his hand didn't decompose along with the rest of his body after death, which is attributed to all the baptisms he performed. But look at the devils at the bottom of the reliquary. What is going on here? And so he posted this picture, and so it's like all beautiful with angels, but then at the bottom there's a row of demons. Nice. Which is really crazy looking. And he posted that picture. I'll share that on our social media. Cool. He said, I wonder if Hellboy ever visit Budapest. Love you damn guys. Paul from Gardaharn. Yeah, so I'll insert some of those jazz clips as well. <laughs> Yeah, that guy just sounds cooler and cooler. Yeah, right. <laughs> with with every piece of insight. <laughs> yeah, and I would love to see if someone could talk to. Well, we'll have some more comments about Azale's sword later. But yeah, it would be cool to put some of those comments in front of uh, some of the official guys and see what they say about that. We also got a hey, you damn guys from Brian Levy. He said, Lake of Fire was such a cool story. I remember reading it as it came out, still kind of exhausted from the bleakness of the recent stories and getting used to the quieter, more grounded world of the Abe series, and just getting so pumped at the gang getting back together. We're in the middle of the whole overarching Mignolaverse turning significantly sadder and bleaker, and then we get the kick-ass return of Liz, Phoenix breaking noses and blowing up the fucking monster egg god. And we even get room for an awesomely satisfying reunion back at the headquarters, all while setting up whatever's going to happen in New York. It's fantastic. The overall state of the Mignolaverse is getting bleaker and bleaker with each story. And then we get these little moments of joy, or at least positivity. And you realize that you can find the good just about anywhere, even in a shitty monster apocalypse. Also, pay attention to Liz not seeming to age. It doesn't come up a lot, but it's important. Yeah, okay. so great letter. Thank you, Brian. I was also talking to Ross Radke on Twitter. He just finished Devil You Know. So he just wrapped up all the BPRD stuff. So yeah, okay. yeah oh. we, we talked a little bit in uh, private message. And I also shared him uh, your cartoon, Matt, that you drew um, oh, good. after the end of that episode. He really enjoyed that. Ross Ratke is going to be at Rose CityCon when I'm there, so I'm going to try and meet up with him. Hey, oh, that is so awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Please Book take a picture members. together. Yeah, take a picture together so I could post that. That would be great. And then now that you know he's caught up, y'all can like, you know. Book club members. Yeah. Go through all of it. Yeah. Friendship. Yeah. That's right. what we promote here at the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Back to you, John. Yeah, great. That's very exciting. 
Clayton Schofield at Sir Edward Gray on Twitter said, Confession, I nearly dropped the Abe series sometimes after the first 12 issues or so, but I didn't. That said, this is the only series that I skipped upgrading to the omnibus hardcovers. In my opinion, the crown jewel of the Abe stories is the Drowning and Others hardcover. Yeah, so I talked a little bit about that last week, so I guess I wasn't alone there, but... Um, I did get the hardcovers. I'm really enjoying reading through it on this second go-round. We got some more feedback on BPRD Lake of Fire. When I posted the teaser, Ryan Yule said, Here's my Lake of Fire cover. I love Liz. And Ryan actually has the cover by Raphael Albuquerque for oh, issue wow. four that has that awesome picture of Liz That's on the front. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He owns that cover. Very cool. Yeah, so thanks for sharing that, Ryan. And also, shout out to Ryan. He picked me up some stuff at San Diego Comic-Con. Yes, I posted a thank picture you this so week. Much. Yeah, that was so, so awesome. cool. Sweet and thoughtful. Yeah. Really. And Wes Mattis said, these are some of my favorite covers. They literally give me the feeling of fear and give me a chill in totally different ways. So beautifully eerie. And Mike Hex also said that they were beautiful. Jerry Turnbull. So Jerry came in to yeah. talk about the, uh, the yeah. sword theory. And so Jerry posted a picture from, I think it's Hellboy the Wild Hunt by Duncan Fagredo. And it shows a vision of Hellboy. He's got the crown and the sword and he's on the dragon and the sword just has a regular uh, uh, right. regular tip. And he says something like... Uh, um, some things don't need to be connected. Yeah. That's what he said. <laughs> he has a point that's very true. Uh, so well, anyway. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the funny thing about the comics is you don't know what needs to be connected and what doesn't. Right, right. <laughs> but but I, guess, I guess that one doesn't. Well, I saw that and I was just like, okay, point taken. It doesn't need to be connected. But <laughs> if it was a broken sword and somebody reforged it and didn't know what the tip looked like, uh, okay. they probably oh. might go for a regular sword tip. Mm-hmm. But Sorry, I, I hate to keep bringing this up. Didn't they make a huge deal about this, the sword being Excalibur? No, that's not no, the dad's the, sword. That's oh, not okay. his dad's sword. That's a different sword. All right. Jerry Turnbull also said regarding... Sorry, I'm not like a swords expert <laughs> over here. <laughs> Jerry Turnbull also said regarding that scene with Howard's last week, this scene is amazing. It is just a simple dissolve in and out of the commissary to show how much more to Howard's there is. Is it showing that Howard's and Gall are sharing each other's lives with Ted in the past and Gall eating in the mess hall? I know what one I think it is, he said. And so I said, do tell, Jerry, do tell. (laughs) And he said, you know, I hope they never really clarify what the relationship between the two is. I much prefer the mystery. All right. No, I think that's a great, no, that's a great, that's a great insight into, I think, what a lot of people feel about stories like this and i i I feel the same way some sometimes stories that are left up to the reader's imagination you know they make you really exercise your your own brain your own creativity and Mm -hmm. you can take it into kind of that headcanon area like i personally think it's you know the same guy but they're connected through some weird kind of space time right weird magic science thing that yeah. I don't really know the specifics to, but I don't have to because it's cool just to think about it being like yeah. a weird, you know, yeah. I don't know. I totally appreciate that. Yeah, no, I actually really like the idea that um, that it is a mystery yeah. because it's, like you said, it's just more fun to break your own headcanon into what you think. Right. Yeah. I so. like that the sword is what connects yeah. this, you know, whole thing together. And I, I would like to think that the sword is somehow like the the magic of the sword is somehow like creating this weird time 
mainstream right. thing yeah. going that's going on. That's I don't know. It's just a, it's cool to think about all the different theories you could come up with, especially if you're like me and you like to read all these super weird books about time is an illusion <laughs> and all this weird like oh reality isn't what you think it is, man. Like yeah. I'm so into that kind of ridiculous <laughs> bullshit. I love it. I can't get enough of it. And so this is exactly the kind of character that I'm like. Oh man. Right. Yeah. This is this is my shit, you know. So I dig that. I dig that it's not explained because that means that your own brain can come up with all kinds of possibilities that are way more fun than a solid explanation. Sure. At least for something like this. Obviously there are a lot of plot points that yeah, you know, a writer's job is to explain shit sometimes, sure. of course, and that's like, you know, we wouldn't have a story without that, but I think if you pick and choose what to fully explain and what to leave up to the reader, it's it's a more, it leads to a more rich experience sure. for yeah. everybody. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that Howard's and Galdinar look exactly the same? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they if, do. Like, if I touch that sword, would I meet my prehistoric doppelganger right. somehow? <laughs> or is it just those two guys? You could really start to overthink it after a while, <laughs> but I think that that's kind of cool. It, it feels unique, but is it? I did overthink a little bit on it a little bit. <laughs> and I had a thought that um, what if, like, Galdinar is somehow an ancestor to Ted Howard, and that's how they're able oh, to... Oh, cool. You know, oh, okay. They're they able have to... some sort of biological connection. Yeah. I mean, they, and, I, and, I don't mean like a, and I don't right. mean like a direct descendant or anything like that. Not like, you know, he's the son of the son of the son of the son, right. or the son of the daughter of the daughter of the son. But just some sort of weird familiar connections down right. and that's how they're able to transfer brain kind of patterns but yeah i mean it could be anything i mean it's it's a wonderful theory to think about yeah. i yeah. maintain that it's straight up him right that it's like he exists simultaneously in these two space times but awesome. see that could also still work too with yeah. him being an, uh, an ancestor to him yeah because he could be his own great 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 sure. great great yeah. great 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 bazillion <laughs> grandfather i think it's just like it's him Right. Like he's existing in these two places and times at the same moment. And it's just like, you don't need to explain right. it. It's just yeah. there. I, I like don't know. That. I like that. Well, then, well, then I love the idea of somebody being like, hey, Howard's. And he's like, hold on, not right now. I'm focused <laughs> on this wicked battle I'm right, having. Exactly. Elsewhere. Like, like whenever he's, that's why he's always in the commissary because he's just chilling out by himself yeah. being quiet while in his brain. Massacre or whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh, I like that a lot. That's cool. Yeah, we'll have some more feedback on that in a little bit. Sorry, I think it's so funny that I was like, I don't know, I'm kind of curious about this Ted Howard's guy before <laughs> I even read any of this yeah. in this, whatever, this interview. I had no business giving an interview <laughs> about any of this. And he was like, oh, what are you looking forward to? What character do you want to see? And it's like, yeah, Ted Howard seems interesting. He's like, no, nobody cares about Ted Howard. <laughs> I, you know what? I was right. Yeah. <laughs> this is like one of the most engaging characters. I stand by my response. I love it. Also, I didn't know what who Lobster Johnson was at all. And now obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> totally obsessed. You know, if if I was a cosplayer or whatever, which I'm not, you know, I don't have the time or disposable income to make any kind of costumes. And I also want to throw in that I don't have the skill. A lot of these people have incredible craftsmanship oh, yeah. Yeah. going into this stuff. A lot of skill. I'm not going to be like, yeah, I could totally do that, which I definitely couldn't. I don't know how to sew. I don't know how to craft stuff. But if I did, dude, Lobster Johnson. Yeah, that amazing. would be great. That would be awesome. Feel the claw. <laughs> Taking down Nazis. Can you believe it? I mean, I love this character. So I'm really glad that we're, that we're reading this one today. Yeah. I've also, you know, 
thought about cosplaying Lobster Johnson. That's a oh, good you one. should do it. Yeah. See, so you and you do stuff like that too. So you could yeah, but totally I, but I don't make anything. I actually go out and buy oh, piece right together. On. Right. The yeah. people that make these things from the ground mm-hmm. up, from scratch. I mean, like I'm in awe of some of the oh. creativity that goes into some of the stuff, especially like all the Hellboy stuff. I have a, people really put oh, their heart and souls really into cool this stuff recently. And if you Google like Lobster Johnson cosplay, there's some awesome ones. Yeah, there's some awesome ones. I've and seen a lot online. of people are like, ah, oh, what kind of level of nerd are you that you have to put? It takes skill. It yeah. takes a lot of hard work to do some of this stuff and you know what like what kind of people do you think are making all these movies props and costumes yeah. and stuff it's people who know how to do this so well, you can turn that into a career if you wanted to i mean this takes a lot of skill well i have a friend who actually uh makes her own costumes but she also oh, really? makes costumes for her friends and she's like uh, i've been making costumes for my friends i don't have time to make my own <laughs> and i'm like well why don't you tell them not to she goes well then the group won't look good Aww. Uh, but she actually has a uh, a theater background in costuming that's so uh, cool that's really awesome and then i was like looking at her costume once and she was wearing this and it's all these sequins on it and yeah. she's like yeah i hand sold all these sequins and i'm like are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you hand soul, and there were like a bazillion of them yeah. on her damn uh, and it's, outfit. And it's not something that I personally do, but whenever I see a well-made costume, it's like, hey, good for you. You know, you're spending your time in a constructive manner, and you're you're making stuff right. that you want to yeah. make. I think yeah. it's fun. I guess I went off on a little tangent. I don't like to see people teased for doing something that's yeah. totally wholesome and fine. Anyway, but my point was, yeah, there are a lot of characters that really surprised me in this world in this universe and um you know we talked about ted howards but also turning back to the subject matter of today lobster johnson really like fell in love with this character you know and uh loved the cameo in the movie loved to anytime i see that we're about to read a story about lobster johnson i'm like fuck yeah let's kill some goddamn nazis (laughs) yeah yeah. let's do it Yeah. Yeah, uh, 55 episodes in. We were due for another one of your tangent rants. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. What Did I hit all the plot points? Don't make fun of nerds. Kill all the Nazis. Did I miss anything? Yeah. Check, check. Taylor Dodderman, he said, busy couple of weeks at work, so I'm playing catch up on the last couple episodes. Just finished the second Abe one and had a couple quick thoughts. Totally agree with Matt that the Abe series is some beautiful storytelling that really gives an awesome day-to-day perspective of the world. Because of this and the stunning Fumara art, it is one of my favorite series. It surprises me that a lot of people I see online downplay this series and consider it to be one of the worst ones. I love how much it makes you think. Also, congratulations to Aubrey on quitting smoking and staying off the cigs. Keep it up, bud. Thank you. Tomorrow, I'm going to dive into the new episode and come back with more thoughts. And so he did. So then he posted some Lake of Fire notes. He said, first off, one whole year. Congrats, you guys. Y'all are amazing. Here's to many more. Thank you. Secondly, there was another layer to the Howard's joke about the jawbone. Matt and Aubrey were right about him using the jawbone as a weapon to smite his enemies, which much like like Howard's with his sword... But the other I know where he's going. But the I know other, where he's going. Yeah, but the other thing is the Bible story says Samson got his power from growing yep. his hair and never cutting or shaving. So I think the joke is a poke at Howard's unshaven appearance on top of his superhuman abilities. You know, when I I, I did read about that comment, yeah. I did read that comment, and I was just like, oh man, how could I forget that? That was like one of my favorite Bible stories when I was a kid going right. to church because <laughs> I mean the guy was basically a superhero until you cut his hair. <laughs> I, but right. as far as weaknesses goes, what a lame weakness! I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's to me, it's just such a it's kind of such a obscure. You really, it's really a reaching kind of a thing as far as a, as far as jokes go. You have to a assume everyone is familiar with kind of an obscure story from the Bible, and b 
the details of that story and see that people are going to be like, oh, yeah, I guess he's kind of like, he has long hair. Sure. Why not? That's... Right, right. Oh, that's a funny joke about a job. I don't know. It just seems like it's reaching for me, but that's just me. But I don't really think yeah. it's that obscure of a Bible story, though. Right, right. Well, mm. as somebody who doesn't fucking study the Bible, oh, to no, me, no, it's no, like, no. I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I, I was, like, inundated with, like, religion. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Through, uh, through my entire childhood and all that. But that was one of the stories that... I don't know. I really liked because, sure. you know, he like, you know, killed people and knocked down buildings and <laughs> full action is an action star. You know, and then, yeah. you know, and then he had his girl Delilah, but he, you know, okay. Yeah. That's the whole thing. <laughs> yep. Well, she cut his hair. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe the other agents were like rolling their eye off camera going, Oh, another obscure reference. Right. <laughs> Why is this guy this always guy talking about his, the Bible? I guess that's the Bible. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> well, Jeroko, she was like, what? In that panel, she right. was like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah. and I will also admit that I did grow up in Alabama. So it's like the deep right. part of right, the Bible right. belt. So you're in, in some way you're still recovering from that. <laughs> oh, you know, I've, I've been, you know, well, luckily I was born here and then luckily I got back here as soon as I yeah, could. Yeah, there you okay. go. Good. I was raised in Sunday school and oh, lots wow. of church and Catholic church. And I was like the part where we'd read the Bible because I was like, what are they going to do next? This is the craziest. <laughs> There's some fucked like, up I'm, shit in I'm there. Reading, I'm reading the Lord of the Rings and then. It's Bible time, and I'm like, this is as whacked out yeah. as, in many ways. <laughs> wow, is, yeah. It is pretty point. fucked up. It's not, it's not like an adventure story. <laughs> I was like, oh, good, Old Testament. This is the best part. Yeah, for Man, sure. That, that's where all the fucked up shit happens. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. Until you get to Revelations, when that's just like somebody's ass. Now, that trip. one is pretty cool. It's like a heavy metal music video. A lot of that stuff is. <laughs> Taylor also said... Third, Phoenix and Bruiser are everything. Every BPRD story, when they showed up, I would do a little ritual to pray to the gods that they make it back okay. And one last thing, Liz is back, baby. Yeah. Drew Campbell said, in regard to Tien's comment that Liz looks younger, I don't know if it's my imagination, but the way she's drawn at the beginning of the story, she definitely looks older and more worn down than she does at the end. Plus, as soon as she regains her power, she goes straight from walking with a cane to running around fighting monsters. Yeah. Seems like there's more to her right. powers than just the ability to control fire. I wouldn't necessarily like use the word, oh, she doesn't age, or, or like youth, or, or like anything related to like that. Because I, I know that she does age because she grew up from a little girl right. into being, you know what I mean? Like, so... But I would say, like, vitality sure. is probably, because, like, maybe she doesn't look older to me, but she does look worn. She does look like she's having a hard time, you know, and she is very injured, and she's very, you know, like, you know, she's tired, and it's very, oh, she's struggling. And then, of course, you know, we talk about the difference between that and when she kind of gets, she gets it going again, and right. she, she does look a lot better, and she is, she's moving around, and she's running and fighting and using her firepowers, and she looks, she looks a lot better. So I would say that, like, probably... As opposed to age, I would say that makes a difference in like her vitality. Sure, sure. Well, they pointed it out in the story. Remember, what was his name? Clyburn? Yeah. Right. And they lifted that wheelchair down the steps. He goes, you must be in better shape than me. And so that is a good point that she was using a cane. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Big right. time. Beginning. Yeah, that is uh, it, that is something it had that's been good. Months, but, yeah. Well, like like at the beginning of the story, she, like she couldn't even get out of bed, and then yeah. she was using a walker, then she's using a cane, but then like. She dropped that cane as soon as she got the fire. Right, but, um, right. I would say if she doesn't have that life force going through her, I mean, that's something that people probably never would recover from. It would probably take years and years to even yeah. get 
close to where they used to be kind of a thing. Because didn't they say a building dropped on her? Yeah. 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 She was under a collapsed building. But yeah, no, I mean, maybe it's something to do with like the fire. Yeah. Keeps her cells from um, achieving like death. Like, you know, how everybody's cells start like you mature to a certain point and then your cells start dying off. That's why we get old and die. Right. Sorry, guys. Uh, No, no, no. But it's going to happen to all of us. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe the fire keeps her cells from from doing that. And like you said, it's like the vitality. I yeah. think I yeah. think that that Vril being a part of her and her, I think it has a lot to do with her mental state, accepting right. the Vril as part of her and actually embracing that probably has a lot to do with the way that it works. Right. If, it, if she's working against it, it's working against her. Mm-hmm. If she's, you know, accepting it and, and becoming one with it, then it's working with her. Yeah. And I think maybe that has something to do with it. No, too. I like that. I, I think, Matt, you mentioned this last week, but. You said like she shifted from just like destroying stuff and trying to kill everything to now in last week's story trying to help using it to protect using trying, it to yeah using yeah for a more positive and so yeah that goes right along with your idea I think mm-hmm. uh, Drew Campbell also said as for Doctor Clyburn he seems to be largely inspired by the 1985 film Reanimator based on a Lovecraft story. Even down to the cat being the first specimen that he brings back to life. And so, yeah, I, I looked at a reanimator and I actually, Clyburn kind of looks like the actor. And then there's a scene where he's bringing back the cat and I was going to do in my weekly post a comparison. But it, the screen grabs from reanimator were so disgusting that yeah, I'm just I like, I don't know. I was like, I don't think people want to see this. So, yeah, but he's absolutely <laughs> right. It's very close. It's right on the way that Tyler Crook draws that that cat coming back to life. And then the scene from reanimator. Can you uh, send them to me? Yeah, I'll send it to you. Like a direct message. (laughs) And speaking of Clyburn, I wonder if... And people are probably free to like Google that or whatever if you want to. I just didn't want to share that on my social media. No, and I'm I'm glad that you didn't call me and be like, hey, come look at this because I don't want to see that. I'm one of those people who's like, I would rather not. Yeah. And speaking of Clyburn, I wonder what it means that he is shown to have heterochromia, which can be caused by genetic chimerism as well, which is revealed to be the source of Phoenix vision in the same story. Coincidence? Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. That is interesting. We got some awesome feedback from Mark Tweedell. He said, yes, okay, I love the It's Roger's drawing of Johan and Hellboy idea. I'm calling that canon. That's so great. So, hey, if Mark Tweedell says it's canon, hey. I'm hey, proud fun. to take credit for that. All right. <laughs> uh, Mark Tweedell said, my take on Galdenar Ted Howards is that they are now one being and they exist in parallel. Yep. One day passes in Galdenar's life and one day passes in Ted Howards. Back in the abyss of time, the Howards body was unconscious, so we only ever dealt with the Galdenar side. I've asked Scott Alley about this and he said... They have rules about how Gal Ted works, but they wanted to leave it up to the reader's interpretation. Mm. Yeah, so oh, I like that. Cool. That's super cool, and I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And he said he also thanked for the shout out. We gave him some shout outs last week, but he said still it's weird to get such praise after my Lobster Johnson screw up. So he still because we <laughs> yeah he was thinking it would have been cool if we could have done this before he appeared in the BPRD. You know what I mean? Like if we had done this story before and then we would have gotten this version of the Black Flame first. But I like this I like this reading order better. Oh yeah. yeah it works. Yeah, I think I like this some better. Yeah. yeah. He also but said But then again, I don't know. I didn't read it the other way. So. Right, right. <laughs> and he also said, I loved hearing y'all react to Liz being back. Oh man, that's such a great moment. Liz has leveled up. It's true. Phoenix's dream at the beginning of the story is, I think, how she wishes things had been. You see, she has a sister in the dream. She's not a chimera. 
I wonder if the symbol on her sister's swimsuit means anything. I never actually checked. I really should. Right. It's definitely it's definitely a dream. And I think it was probably triggered by right. all the billboard stuff around her. And she's like, oh, these people came here for a good life. But it ended up being right. a horrific. Yeah. Uh, it ended up being bad. And so, yeah. I put some time on that when uh, I was making notes for that episode. And I noticed that they both had artwork on their swimsuit and i i kind of put some time on it doing some image searches oh, oh really yeah i didn't find anything oh okay i'll have to look back I at was, that i was doing like um the seal for california you know stuff like that uh like oh, the okay state flag I, I was just right i was trying everything but that is an interesting theory that you know her vision in her dream of an idyllic life would be like oh her sister is here with her and right everyone's a happy family mm-hmm. and the dad's like come get some hot dogs you know it's right, very right and then yeah, she wakes yeah. up and it's a fucking hellscape yeah where her ghost sister is like i'm a ghost and um, everything's bad yeah. <laughs> the world is terrible before i put the two side by side i thought maybe it was the special science services logo oh, but it wasn't okay i don't always know what i'm looking at when i'm reading this the first time around and then we talk about it and that's what a book club is <laughs> no but we talk about it and I, I while i'm reading it again i'm like oh yeah it's so obvious how could i've missed that of course it's a dream right, sequence right. or whatever you know so i'm i am glad for this because uh i think that there's so much stuff that i wouldn't recognize right. in the story as sure. being significant that i'm like oh yeah I'm kind of a fucking dummy. <laughs> well, it's not. It's not that. It's just you get through it once because I do the same thing. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. Uh, it's just like you know I read through it once and then once we're going through it the next day or yeah. and I'm like, oh, why didn't I make that connection? That's why I love this community <laughs> is that things take on so much more significance when everyone's discussing it and and um, putting their input in what it means to them personally, what they might have thought. Of. You know, you things that you might not have thought of. It only serves to enrich the story more. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Especially because I'm somebody who's mostly focused on like the art sure. side of the storytelling. And so like sometimes I'll miss parts of the dialogue. No, we'll <laughs> Just because I'm not and, focused on it. Not that it's not important. Si- but I'm the other side of that. I'm focused on the right. story elements and all the little trivia. And a lot sure. of times I'm not looking as much as the, at the picture as I should. Anyway, uh, Jason Abaddon, he had some feedback. He said the mad scientist from the podcast was totally a reanimator nod. He pointed that out too. Oh. Everything in this series was a prelude to leveling up for the big throwdown in New York. I can't help but think of the start of the Crystal Method song, The Name of the Game. Do you know that song? I listened to it earlier. It has like this real, it's a, it's like a definitely an action, like getting mm. pumped up kind of song. It's huh. it's like I've listened to Crystal Method, but I don't know the names of any of their right. songs. I'll post a clip of that little uh, intro. Yeah, I've never listened to that. And then he said, oh, I can't believe we're not moving on to New York Mission next week. Nothing against the lobster, but it's like we're about to see the final fight with Cell on Dragon Ball Z, and they <laughs> stick six episodes of filler starting Hercule to pad the series. Hey, 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 how dare you? First of all, this is the lobster. I'll take a lobster story at any point. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Yule, he posted another page. I resent that comparison. <laughs> 
Ryan Yule, he posted another page that he has. He has that page where um, Liz is getting back in her uniform and they show the picture. So he's got the yeah. issue four cover and then he has that actual Tyler Crook page as well. I, I feel like Ryan owns like like all the pages. I know. Like, all like, the, all yeah. the best pages in the whole world. He's got some significant yeah. pieces. Yeah, yeah his, his collection is pretty wild. Yeah, Ryan, your collection is amazing. Yeah. I happen to know that he has pages that were never published. Yes. He has yeah. some unused pages from Hellboy. Jeez. Yeah, that were oh, yeah. Awesome. He's that. posted some of yeah. those online. That's amazing. And he also yeah. he also posted a link to cadencecomicart.com and so he you can check out Tyler Crook's pages for sale. They're pretty affordable. So yeah, always check out, you know, the artists that you love. They they're selling their pages online. You can get them. I did check out that page and I thought those were uh, affordable <laughs> in air quotes <laughs> yeah because i mean i can't afford them but man they look it was but yeah they 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 are way cheaper than i thought they would be yeah regarding the reveal of phoenix's ghost sister jason abaddon said i can actually picture a creepy scene of phoenix sister ghost trailing up into the sky and out of sight and then phoenix looking to the horizon and seeing the sky filled with those ghost strands leading down like all these different ghosts you know like all over that would be super creepy oh yeah and Ross Radke said, have you ever read the article about the woman who failed a maternity test for the child she gave birth to because the sample they tested had the DNA from the mother's absorbed twin? I actually looked this up. There was a story in 2016 about a Washington state woman who was reportedly accused of welfare fraud and illegal surrogacy. That's so fucked up. She claimed social services told her, you know, we can come get your kids at any time. Jeez. It turns out the mother had an absorbed twin and her child had the DNA from the twin and not her. After three court hearings, the woman's lawyer heard about a similar case where a child did not match the mother's DNA due to chimera. And tests were ordered that confirmed she had the condition and all charges were dropped. There was also Ugh. a similar case about a man who hit, he didn't have the DNA of his uh, of his son because of an unborn twin. Wow. Most chimera sufferers don't even know that they're suffering from the condition. Sometimes a chimera's child's eyes are different colors or they may have patches on their skin. So that was really interesting. That yeah, is so there is fucking weird. Yeah, so when the doctor is telling her that there's a discrepancy, like stuff like that actually happens. Right. I mean, can you imagine though, like having a kid and then someone being like, We're gonna take your kid, it's right. not your kid. It would be like living in a fucking nightmare, you'd be like did my brain make up memories of in me the, actually having this kid? Like, well, what the fuck? The, in the article, the woman was like, I know I gave birth yeah. to this kid. I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and so it was so right? weird, right? That is, that is, that would be such a nightmare. I but, mean, but to be fair, like, that's such a, probably kind of a rare condition, is it not? Or I mean, like, that's. I guess so. It would be yeah. kind of rare for people yeah. to know about it and be like. Right. Oh, Did, what if it's this? Didn't you also say in the article they said something about like illegal surrogation or something? Right, mm. right. So, I mean, yeah. like they could even bring in her doctor said, yeah, she gave birth to the kid. But they're like, no, no, no. Yeah, jeez. Right, yeah. And they were, wow, they went that long. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it didn't at least have a happy ending. Yeah, no, they okay. it said the charges were dropped. Jeez. So, but I mean, how much money did she have to waste? In yeah, all this right, bullshit? exactly. It, especially if she was on like welfare. I know exactly uh, all oh. the time that you have to spend in there. I'm glad they figured it out, but jeez. Yeah, we need to stop for a go on a rant. I know, (laughs) I know. When I posted about Liz getting her fire powers back, Micro Labs said, love this page and podcast. And so, yeah, shout out to the Michael Labs show on YouTube. He gave us some love on Instagram. Sentinel Bates said, lol, I just hit this volume in my reading. I need to catch up on the podcast now. 
And when I posted about Tyler Crook redrawing the BPRD group pick, previously drawn by Guy Davis and Duncan Fagredo, Jason Abaddon said, Carl Moline drew me a similar picture. So yeah, I want to see that. Jason, post that on- online or send that to me so I can uh, share it with the community. And Jason also commented when I posted about the scrap world in the Salton Sea that we talked about. He said, yeah, now we got to meet up there for drinks. Skipping the Salton Sea, though, I've been to similar Mono Lake, and a more hellish place is hard to fathom. Yeah, but we should all go to this uh, scrap world and have we'll have a big book club meet up there. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. And so this week we got Maddie Strackbine on the horn to jabber about the funny book Lobster Johnson, the Burning Hand. See, <laughs> <laughs> no good. <laughs> That was great. That was great. This is a five-issue miniseries that was published from January to May 2012. The series featured covers by Dave Johnson and Year of Monster variant covers by Mignola for issues one and four. Story by Mignola and Arcudi. Art by Tonchi Zonich. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. And so, yeah, um, actually looked up Zonich's personal webpage, and on the first page that you get to, he has a phonetic spelling of his name, because I guess he gets that Aww. a lot. So okay. yeah, the yeah. last name is Zonich. Yeah, so amazing cover by Dave Johnson for issue number one. I love this thing. So this cover actually reminded me of, um, do you remember um, Batman the Animated Series when they would have their, the, like in the first season, the, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. when they would show the titles for the uh, episodes, it'd be oh, like yeah. this kind yeah. of, Whole, uh, like, you're right, I like that. And I, that's the first thing I thought of, and I was just like, ooh. Yeah, great. I love this here. What is this? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, the, the chapter separation art, I think that's yeah. by um That's also by Dave Johnson as well. I know we bring this up a lot, but Dave Stewart. Yeah, he's killing it on this series. It's very art deco. Yeah. Right yeah. Okay, but, yeah. Um, between Dave Johnson and Zonia, this is... I love Lobster Johnson. I, I agree with Danielle. This is, it's so fun. But this particular series, these five issues are proof to an argument that I make a lot. And that is that comic books can do more and better than movies. Oh, yeah. Think, Big time. Think about like, okay, so this series feels like a cinematic experience from that era, but it does things like action wise that you couldn't do back then no yeah and so that's why i love that's just one thing i love about comic books is that you can re-experience like a cinematic thing but it's even better right and i think that in part is because of these two artists these guys really drive it home absolutely and i i love how there are moments where they choose to not get very detailed and it's kind of you get like an impression of what's going on and then there are some close-ups that are that are more detailed and you get the impression that what you're supposed to focus on is this very detailed thing right here. And it, it tells a story in a way that's, I can't even describe. And I, I, I'm trying so hard not to go on a rant right now, but I agree with you that there are some things you can do with, by illustrating, uh, with sequential art or even in animation. And a lot of people are like, Oh, animation and and comics, that's for that's for kids and people who never grew up. What are you doing? You're an adult watching a cartoon. You're an adult reading a sequential art. Like, no, sometimes there are stories that you can tell that are so much more effective and beautiful. You just cannot do with live action movies. You just can't do it. And it, you're not meant to. It's meant to be told in this way. It's meant to be done right. like this. It's meant to be painted or it's meant to be 
whatever. And I think that um, trying to force everything to be a fucking live action CG, it just doesn't fucking work. And right. it's not supposed to. And why force everything to do that? Stop it. Just let it be what it is. It's it's beautiful the way it is. Anyway, that's my rant. And well, and isn't it ironic that Zonjic did design work for the movie Solo and oh, and The Last Jedi? Oh, really? Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. So you know, I mean, he has a real designer like the storyboard. Approach. Like he did. Like there are storyboards of his work, or I think like character design. Oh, nice. interesting. Nice. Wow, I didn't that's know that. Cool. Like interesting. That. I would, I would yeah. love to see him storyboard some of that. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting. He, he's a master. He really is. Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in the sketchbook when we get there. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. that was you know sometimes I skip the sketchbook stuff. I was fascinated. I mean, yeah. I stared at those pages almost longer than I did some of the actual story. Right, I was right. like, oh, this is fascinating. You know. Yeah, we'll say save those comments. Anyway, sorry. We open in 1932. So. Another thing that I like about your discussion just now, this story takes place before the Iron Prometheus, which was the last one that we saw with Lobster Johnson going up against Memnon Sa. That was in 1937. It also kind of lends to that older classical looking style, I think. Well, and also going back to the whole like, you know, layout design of, you know, telling the story. I like how we get the date. Of the story is oh, on it a, tells us right there yeah. is on a uh, newspaper that's and, blowing in the wind. And location, right. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, that's yeah. That's such a clever, subtle way. Yeah. of doing that, I like that. Because I mean, otherwise it'd just be a box that says New York, yeah. 1932. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And this is kind of this is set and setting. It puts you right in there. It puts you right in the mm-hmm. in that world. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of trivia in this first scene. So like you said, we see the New York Herald Tribune. This was a newspaper published between 1924 and 1966. And the couple discussed Buster Keaton, born Joseph Frank Keaton in 1895. Keaton was an American actor, comedian, film director, producer, screenwriter, and stunt performer. He was best known for his silent films, in which his trademark was physical comedy with a consistently stoic, deadpan expression that earned him the nickname the great stone phase <laughs> and the woman rachel she says he's not as funny now that you can hear his voice <laughs> movies started mm. having sound in 1927 and in 1928 keaton signed with mgm a business decision that he would later call the worst of his life oh, he realized too late that the studio system mgm represented would severely limit his creative input so it makes me think about this comment she's saying oh he's not funny anymore that you can hear him but maybe he's not funny because his creative right. vision was being limited by the studio at this time yeah. so I, I, I anyway i like thinking about stuff like sure that. Oh, interesting that, that is interesting because you know um i have heard about you know i did study the studio system like back in the day uh-huh. and it was just like all the actors were signed to contracts and you couldn't appear in certain movies right and sometimes they'd get loaned out or yeah. you'd have to do all this kind of stuff and so yeah i mean huh. maybe it really is like it wasn't his voice right. it was the creative restrictions yeah they also mentioned the passionate plumber this 1932 movie co-star jimmy durante and irene purcell let me just mention just real quick their body language she's got her arms crossed and they're kind of up a little bit i mean that's what you do when you're cold right and the you know even the breath you can see kind of the breath coming out but it looks fucking cold you can see their breath you can see the way that they're hugging their they're bundled up and so that kind of to me again really puts me right in the story and it really this artist really pays a lot of attention to body language and dynamics which i always appreciate so much and i love this last panel with the eye too it's very kind of like pop art yeah style 
And so this guy, Sam, he's trying to make a move when they discover this grisly scene, a scalped man tied to a light post. Sam, he goes over and he talks to the scalped guy. He says that he'll get help. Rachel thinks that they should get out of there, but Sam says they can't leave him. And the man starts muttering. He says, she's right. Get away from here now. I was really hoping that this was going to be like, oh, man, someone's scalping Nazis or something. But like, it ends up being people. This is so disgusting. They're faking being an indigenous or right. first peoples native american in you know indian however you self-identify if you're listening they they fake being these indigenous peoples and it's fucking disgusting right <laughs> i don't understand what the fuck is going on but it's they're pull, they're trying to pull off some ridiculous goddamn scooby-doo shit right and right. it's infuriating and we see them they're all like in this white and gray paint they're all painted, I guess, to like look like ghosts or whatever. Ghosts. And um, but I do really like the way this page is is colored because the yeah. white and the gray with the red from their weapons and stuff like that is really cool. You see, one of them is wearing the cop's hat, and with this thing that he's holding, I assume, is the scalp uh, or whatever. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> and it's almost kind of tinged with this very dull green, right? To right. Sort of give the impression, which we'll learn later, it was supposed to be a phosphorescent. Yeah. Effect, so. Yeah, I really like that. Thanks for pointing that out. And so they come and they ambush the couple. Sam and Rachel try and run, but they're surrounded. And Sam picks up this stick to defend himself, but it doesn't look too good for them. And yeah, so I love how the tension building in this scene, we get like a nice double page. The way that the pacing is on this is really good. And it's a really kind of, it really lends to that kind of throwback style. Yeah. And then crash the suddenly the lobster the crashes lobster. out of the window of a nearby building he tackles one off the horse and then he lands and shoots another and i like this so when he tackled that guy like he burned him with the claw yeah because you see in that next panel he's, he's like got, dropped yeah that's so cool it's I really just good lo- oh it's so awesome taste justice imposters yeah <laughs> i love his sayings they're like the best good shit <laughs> and then we immediately cut to the next morning that i was kind of shocked that we don't get him I crashing in and then that's it we just cut to the next day i think that's some good ass storytelling that is fucking good that keeps you hanging because then you've got this scene where like uh we're cleaning up a crime scene yeah, yeah. and it's like it keeps you hanging because you're like oh i want to know what happened you're you're right off the heels of this you know right at the climactic moment where he's fucking shooting people right, and right. burning people in the face taste justice and then you've got this very okay now we're walking around a crime it keeps you hooked it keeps yeah. you reading which i love yeah and now they all have the claw yes on, right yes so you know what happened. Right, He just came in there and wrecked shop (laughs) and then rolled out. Yeah, so the detectives are checking this out. All the Native American imposters are dead. And these two detectives, Hanson and Jake are their names. Jake says the white on their face isn't war paint and smells funny. Like rotten eggs a little, a voice says. There's this woman in the crowd. She looks like a reporter right away. We can tell because she's got the like trademark little notepad and the pencil and everything. And she's very nosy. Yeah. Which is good for a reporter. Yeah. Oh, hiya, Cindy. Yeah, how'd you know, Jake asks. Zinc sulfide powder mixed with a little copper gives you phosphorescent paint. Glow in the dark, Cindy says. Interesting. She's heard reports of Indian ghosts. She also knows about the scalped guy who was an officer, apparently. Cindy tells the detectives to look really closely at this one dead guy. Well, I'll be. It's Jilly Rizzo, Hanson says. So they know they know this guy already. 
Cindy tries to get more info from them, but Jake shuts her down, saying she misquoted him previously. And Hanson just tries to hit on her. All right, Cindy says. You had your chance, boys. Guess I'll have to cobble the story together from the hoi polloi. And so uh, I looked up that phrase. That means like the masses. The rabble. The great unwashed. <laughs> we mentioned that also other phrase earlier. I love these Lobster Johnson stories and all they just how they sound like 1930s movies. Yeah, they do yeah, a good job see? of putting the dialogue in there. Calling her a skirt or right. whatever. <laughs> Hanson asks Jake, what's your problem? Talk to her. And he says that, you know, she she obviously likes him. Jake says, what do I tell her? That she knows more than we do? So we already get the sense that she's ahead of the game on them. Just for a second, can I just say how I love that it looks like she's wearing clothes. Oh, right, she's right. right. Yeah. She's not like a, someone spray painted her body. Sure, sure. And she's naked with like some clothes colored spray paint. The period pieces are really nice too. Yeah. You know, I wonder like, you don't think about how much research has to go into like, what did people wear in this time? Yeah. And what did the cops look like? Also, and stuff right. like drawing that. hats is hard. Yeah. <laughs> it, he makes it look effortless. Well, he mentions that in the sketchbook, I think. He says, oh, I really? He, 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 there's a page in the sketchbook, just a bunch of hats. Oh, I must have missed and that And Zonich writes at the bottom, a bunch of hats. I think I should have drawn more or something like that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. But no, I just, you know, like she's wearing a coat. It makes the silhouette of the way that fabric moves when you're wearing a coat she's wearing a skirt but it's not like you can't literally see the outline of her ass and vagina and legs you can see the skirt the way that it moves on a person's body the fabric is folding it has it looks like a normal goddamn person wearing some fucking clothes in cold weather so it would be thick fabric anyway i just want to say i really fucking appreciate the way that everyone is wearing clothing that doesn't look like it's been saran wrapped around them. It looks like it actually hangs off of them as real clothes would. Sorry, back to you. We cut over to Cindy. She's trying to get information from people in the area. This woman tells Cindy that she gets people in trouble with her questions. Even the little kids don't want to talk to her, right? They're going to go play with their stick and their hoop <laughs> and their, their one ball. They're going to play some stick ball. Yeah. <laughs> And so this mechanic nearby, he's working on a car and he overhears all of this and tells Cindy that if gangster stuff is involved, why would people want to get involved in that? So they're not going to talk to me, not to any reporter, Cindy says. I'd have to say no, the mechanic says, but now you take me. I don't live here. I just fix these folks' cars. And they talk to me all the time. And he smiles as he puts on his hat. I really like that moment. So she's like, ah. Yeah. We cut to the Caribbean on some sort of cruise ship. I love this page. Yeah. This is so, I just yeah. I just really like the look of this page. Have you noticed that the color palette is totally shifted? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Really good. <laughs> and we, this we, lady's so mad. Yeah, I like this funny <laughs> moment. So there's this woman, she's like, you know, she's in a swimsuit. She looks attractive and she's on a beach chair. And this couple walks by and the man tips his hat yeah. and the, the woman, the wife looks all mad or whatever. <laughs> the waiter brings the woman a martini. Will that be all? My husband, she says, see what he will have. And the waiter looks over, puzzled at this figure in all black with a trench coat, gloves, and hat. Sir, can I get anything from... Nine! He's interrupted. Jeez. Uh, very well. He just walks off. And then so we see another wife uh, <laughs> chastising her husband also for looking at the woman in the swimsuit. She pulls off that haircut, which not everybody can do. That is a very cool haircut. Yeah. Or it looks good on her, yeah. yeah I like, I don't the, know I like many, the design of this character. Yeah, I don't know many people who could actually pull that haircut off. We cut back to Cindy and the mechanic. We learn his name is Harry McTell. So we've actually 
already met Harry McTell, but when he was super old, right. Kate Corrigan interviewed him in BPRD The Black Goddess. Oh. There, McTell talked about how he lost contact with the lobster after all his crew started getting killed before the events of Hunt Castle, and McTell was also responsible for giving the BPRD the location of Memnon Sa's hidden city. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the, uh, what's the thing Captain America has some friends in there? The Howling Commandos? It kind of reminds yeah. me of the yeah, Howling yeah. Commandos, yeah. McTell is familiar to Cindy as well. Apparently, he KO'd a goon who mugged the DA's sister. His face was on the front page of the paper. McTell also seems to know all about Jilly Rizzo, who was mentioned earlier, as well as other cool gangster names. Jilly Rizzo, Buzz see? Dare and Crabgrass. <laughs> <laughs> I love those names. Very Dick Tracy. Cindy asks what he knows about the dead Indian guys with the glow paint. McTell thinks that they were trying to scare people out of the neighborhood. People weren't scared until that police officer was scalped and killed, and then the Indians were killed too. Cindy asks, why would Penny Ante Hoods want to scare folks away? So I looked. I had to look this up, too. I didn't know that term. Penny Ante is poker played for very small stakes. And he says they need people to make money. And so they talk about prohibition. So that gets brought up. Prohibition was still a thing at this time, being the prevention by law of the manufacture and sale of alcohol in the U.S. between 1920 and 1933. And it actually increased crime by ridiculous proportions. Like Mm -hmm. prohibition made bootleggers like the crime kings of the whole fucking country. They basically took over literally everything including government and police like it was the fucking i'm sorry i've watched so many documentaries about this it's fascinating and very fucked up did you see the uh, ken's barn one um, oh Oh, that was like the best i've seen a lot of different ones but yeah there's like you see the ones that are like movie style and then they even have some that are like serial with like all these different episodes yeah so it's just like you get i I got so into watching those i get i get really into watching these documentaries i get into all these phases (laughs) and stuff but it was really just the most fucked up thing you've ever seen so anyway, sorry. Again, the historical fiction weaving into all these yeah, stories. Yeah, really, really interesting like. how they included that. I think that, you know, when you use things like that to your advantage when telling a story, again, it just puts you yeah. further into that story and really gets you involved. Miss Tynan, how much longer do you think Prohibition's bound to last? McTell asks. A year, two? After that, how's a bootlegger like, say, Arnie Wald going to turn a profit? Arnie Wald, Cindy asks. He hired Rizzo and the others? Harry said that more people have cars every year and soon they'll be looking to build highways along this area near the East River. So Cindy starts to put it together that Wald is clearing the neighborhood in order to buy the buildings for cheap, then turn around and I guess sell them or... Well, because they're going to want to tear everything down and put the highway through it. Right. Wasn't that also kind of similar to the plot of... um... Roger Rabbit. Oh yeah, yeah. Kind of, you're right. Yeah, the the main bad guy was trying to buy all the buildings so they could like oh. sell them off and build the freeway. Right. Interesting. I never saw that movie, so that's. Oh wow, that movie's great. Yeah, wasn't that kind of a I'm a gumshoe detective? I yeah. wear a hat. Yeah. Kind of a movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing like sometimes the clips are played of it when they're talking about movies in these interviews or something, some shit where it's like, oh, it was a technological. That we got cartoons and people together, kind of a thing. So I've seen like frames of it very briefly i never actually saw the movie though was it like oh the movie's any good uh, or? oh yeah yeah i love it and it was also a huge copyright thing at the time oh, really? to get these characters in the same like, movie together they got like mickey mouse and bugs bunny in the oh, same wow. scene together. Right. Interesting. I so didn't know that. that was like a huge huh. feat as well anyway interesting yeah. harry tells cindy that she's just at the starting line of the story 
We cut to Cindy saying goodbye to Harry, but before she leaves, there's one more thing. That weird mark on Rizzo and his pals on their foreheads. What's it mean, she asks. Harry says he couldn't say and tells Cindy to get a cab. Why, Cindy asks. Nearly every thug in town is dead and branded. What do I have to worry about? Well, he doesn't say for her to get a cab. He says, I'll call you a cab. Right. <laughs> He's like, oh, gee, it's getting dark. I, uh, I should call you a cab. It's a, it's a very polite hint, but it is a hint nonetheless. Right. right. As she steps out, she almost runs into this guy. And so it's a short guy. He's wearing all white. Nothing suspicious about that. Right. Or <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> and so she walks off looking at her notes. And we cut over to this guy in white. He opens up the fancy cigarette case in front of early times. I guess it's a pool hall. I was going to say bar, but I guess not due to prohibition. And I couldn't find a reference to this bar in New York, but there is a... It might be a, a speakeasy. That's what I was going to say. Right, yeah. <laughs> there is a Jeans early times bar in North Carolina. Because this man is drinking a beer. This is a speakeasy. Oh, yeah, you're right. But it has to be like... The early times has to be something else because... Um, you can't just advertise your <laughs> speakeasy on the middle of the street. Well, it's right. a pool hall, quote yeah. unquote. That's where you go to just play pool and nothing else, because right. that's what people do sure. all the time, right? <laughs> Look at the inscription on the inside of his cigarette case. Yeah, yeah. So that actually comes up again. And I thought it was interesting that the artist would take time to do something so detailed. Yeah, right? I was looking at that just now, right when you said that. So I don't know what it is. It looks like just kind of a random art deco design with sure. some you know script around it yeah but the first time i ever read this a couple of things clicked in my head the diamond reminded me of uh, what i call job rolling papers oh, okay uh which is jb with the right. diamond in the middle and so then i was reminded of a very old school french poster for those rolling papers okay called the happy sultan Huh. And I texted a picture of this to you. It's um, oh. it's a guy wearing all white smoking a cigarette on a couch. Yeah. Interesting. It just, it just reminded me of this character. And at, it, at the time, I, I was going down a rabbit hole sure. for no good reason. But it did remind me of that. So I wonder if that print That's interesting. was somehow yeah. inspiration for the character. I just forwarded it to yeah. you as well. You should have it on your phone. I, I got the picture, Matt. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. It does bear likeness to this uh guy we're going to learn his name is mr izog and so inside izog is talking to this this guy playing pool and we learned that this is arnie wald who was mentioned earlier i we, untied my tie but i didn't take it off my neck see <laughs> yeah and that's a bow tie too we learned that they know about the lobster's mark on the dead guys and we also learned that wald is indeed behind the scheme he says i knew we should have given those boys guns Isaac says it would have ruined the illusion. He also knows about Cindy Tynan asking questions. Wald tells him to deal with it. Isaac says he was thinking of contacting the mystic he mentioned. Wald says they're finished with that bunkum. Hell, I'm sorry I let you talk me into this Indian business. Just handle it the usual way, he says. Sorry, excuse me, but can we go back to how this man threw a lit cigarette into a full beer? Oh, right. So there is that. What the fuck is wrong with him? There is that thing, too. So there's this thing where uh, 
Wald hates that this guy is smoking all the time. Yeah, so he keeps yeah. telling him to put out his cigarette. Have to throw it into the beer, shit. Well, I was gonna, uh, I was, I was gonna bring it up too because I feel like it's something kind of um, unusual for like 1930s America because everybody smoked back then. Right. But how how damn expensive was that beer during Prohibition? I mean, oh, probably yeah. cost a lot of goddamn oh, yeah, money. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. And then he'll, he even he chastising for putting a cigarette out in the beer. Yeah. Yeah. We cut over to Cindy in a phone booth. She's talking to who is probably her boss at the Tribune. He says he needs her to cover Andrew Mellon's appearance tomorrow. And so there's here's some historical fiction here. Mellon was Secretary of the Treasury at the time. Mellon was responsible for raising interest rates in the stock market, responding to increasing fears at the time of stock market speculation and a booming stock market. Mellon favored repeated rate increases. The higher rate failed to curb speculation, and the activity on the stock market continued to grow. In October 1929, the New York Stock Exchange suffered the worst crash in its history, which is called Black Tuesday. By well, mid-1930s, many, including Mellon, believed that the economy had already experienced the worst effects of the stock market crash and did not object to the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act, which raised tariff rates to one of the highest levels in U.S. history in the late 1930s, the economy went into a deep slump as a result, as gross national product declined dramatically and numerous workers lost their jobs. So here they're talking about that Mellon's going to resign any day, you know, so that kind of goes along with the public sentiment at the time of the Secretary of the Treasury. Cindy's bummed that she has to sideline her story for this other one. Ah, nuts. And as she exits the phone booth, we see two gangsters coming up behind her. One thing I wanted to mention that we haven't got to, so again, this probably means nothing, but Cindy Tynan, T-Y-N-A-N, Daryl Tynan, T-Y-N-O-N, is the Wendigo. Mm. Sometimes names get changed over the years, and Mm. so I thought that was kind of interesting. It's one letter different, but very similar, and could be pronounced the same way. Anyway. Sure. Hmm. See? How do you know what's a rabbit hole and what's not? (laughs) You're absolutely right. How do you know if we need to connect this or not? Yeah. So weird. And so as these two gangsters come up behind her, one of them's like, don't panic, sister. I got a story for you. Yeah, newspaper lady visits bottom of river. (laughs) And so they start grabbing Cindy. And um, so one of them, he kind of sees something. Sai, you hear me? I said, hit her with, hey, what the hell are you looking at? And then behind him, this is so cool. I love this. You just see the two eyes Ah, and the hand of the lobster. I like how this is the second time in the story that we've seen um, somebody like reacting to something and like that the other guy can't see. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I like how that's all we see. That's it. And then that's the end of the issue. You know, just just like just like Matt said last time, like we already know what fucking happened. Right, right. And now we know the lobster's following her around. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. He knows. He, he knows. knows what's going on. Who knows what evil lurks, evil in, lurks the in the hearts of men. Of yeah. men. <laughs> the fucking shadow knows. <laughs> we got another amazing cover by Dave Johnson. We open on those two dead gangsters, dead in the snow. The lobster claw marks on their foreheads, and Hanson and Jake are investigating again. Yesterday, we find gangsters dressed as Indians, all of them with claw marks on their heads. Today, we got us a couple of stiff gangsters dressed as gangsters, again with the mark. Makes you wonder what we'll find tomorrow, Jake says. That's easy, Hanson responds. Dead Indians dressed as gangsters. Jeez. (laughs) That'd be the logical progression, all right, Jake says. You know what ain't a logical progression, Hanson asks? What's that? 
two new bodies and your little reporter girlfriend's nowhere in sight. And we mm. cut over to Cindy and she's with the lobster. So this is a good opening for a scene. I love this page by Zonich. <laughs> yeah. It is so awesome. They're just staring yeah. at each other. <laughs> it's good. I, I was going to say I'd love to own this page, but maybe I should rephrase that and say I should buy it off of Ryan. Oh, right. Ah. He probably already has it. Yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> I would say one thing about I really like about the layout of the page when you see them yeah. on the bed and he's in the chair. That little piece of like paper or something on the lamp to kind of, you know, so the light's not glaring in her eyes or anything oh, like yeah. that. I thought that was like a nice little detail and nice that is. touch. It's interesting. I was actually about to bring up the lighting in general, the way that it is re- rendered. I don't mm-hmm. know how to... The way that it's illustrated is... I mean, lighting is such a fucking hard thing to master, and this artist has mastered it. This is really... This is really... This is how you fucking right. lay out a page. This is... Well, and the layout is informing Dave Stewart of how to color it, too. It's perfect. Right? It's it's perfect. The way that the, the lighting is done is perfect. Down to the last detail um, in her hair and her clothing, on the walls, of course. It really frames the scene. It tells you what is important about the scene, where you should be looking, and it gives you a feel for the mood in the room. Right, right. It, it really it sets the tone for this moment very well. It's also, the technical aspects of it, of like where lighting should be when you have lighting of this type in yeah. a room of, of this type with, you know, the textures and the, it's just masterful. And it's all captured on this one page. Of, of you can see the level yeah. of mastery that this, that this guy has. It's really impressive. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. And Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart also has, sorry, on this page, I'm also, yeah. you know, like, Dave Stewart has so much to do with that as well because without his, his masterful colors and his handle on on shadows and and where light falls and how to do textures especially i think that this it wouldn't be the same page if someone else colored it cindy finally breaks the silence so do you talk she asks not as much as you do the lobster damn says. harsh <laughs> cindy says she was just trying to get to the truth she thanks the lobster for rescuing her he knows that the gangsters were arnie wald's gorillas yeah, I guess so, Cindy says. Maybe there is something wrong with trying to get at the truth. Uh, now, I don't think I'd go quite as far as that. Harry appears behind the lobster, so now we know they're working together, right? Yeah. So that's how the lobster was following Cindy and all this kind of stuff. They're on the same team. We cut over to the sandwich shop or something, and inside Ernie Wald eats a sandwich, and the man in white, Izog, he tells him how the guy's they sent after Cindy were found with the burn marks on their head, just like the fake Indians. Isaac says, it seems like he knew what they were going to do before they did. Step back, would you? Wald says, how am I supposed to enjoy my lunch with you here smelling like an old ashtray? And you must take me for a moron if you think I don't know what you're about. Trying to convince me we're up against some conjure man so you can bring in that voodoo friend of yours. Not voodoo, a mystic, Isog says. And I'm supposed to know the difference, Wald responds. However it is done, we must come up with some sort of response, Isog says. Not right now, we don't. I gotta take a steam. And so, so-, <laughs> so first of all, we're introduced to the idea that there's some mystical element to this. He's yeah. got some voodoo mystic people working for him. Second of all, this man eats a sandwich faster than anyone I have <laughs> ever seen in my life. I mean... <laughs> He ate that sandwich in four seconds. <laughs> we see this sign in the background. It says Saks Root Beer. I was trying to look for that. I couldn't find a reference to that. We cut over to that couple we saw on the cruise ship. The woman and the man in all black. His face is still obscured. And the phone rings. 
The woman answers, we learn her name is Kamala. Isog asks about her trip. She says, the hotel is beautiful, thank you. And she asks if they have a meeting scheduled for them. Isog says, as Kamala predicted, Wald is resistant to new ideas. I really, I've always liked that design of that phone. Oh, yeah. Uh, back back when I was a kid, I, I was always like, Mom, Dad, can we get that phone? Right. <laughs> uh, Kamala says, not to worry, they can be patient. It will not be much longer. Trust me, she says. She hangs up and she tells the man in black, they have time on their hands after all. Would you like to see a movie? She is weird, <laughs> but I respect it. Yeah. I mean, she's just laying on the table. <laughs> she, so, she she exudes some Scorpio energy here. Yeah. Well, you know how all of all of Lobster Johnson's inspired by old school pulps and stuff. Is she supposed to represent the classic dragon lady? Story? I don't. I I, yeah. I would hesitate to bring that up because that is a very racist trope. I don't it wanna... is. Yeah. And so that's you can always count on those old pulps to have plenty of you know right racism right. And <laughs> misogyny and all kinds of stuff like that but i i think these guys do it in a way that's like yeah it's kind of using that trope yeah but it's uh they so, don't come out they don't they don't make her as like um stereotypical yeah and and she's not a threat in the same way like people see her on the boat and they're like wow check her out right versus like oh my god it being a race uh, thing an, an asian woman yes. and she's she has authority so that's even scarier yeah. you know it's she it's, especially I think these guys do it right she especially isn't illustrated with any visual stereotypes i don't think right right like, it's a little right, bit more right. tasteful. her dress has a mandarin collar but other than that i don't really see you know what i'm saying and when like who, yeah. who could be against a mandarin collar they're fantastic She's they look just, great on almost any person. I'm just saying. Right. <laughs> well, and it, it between that and the haircut, her face is framed perfectly. Right. But she's exotic, not threatening. Right. Right. And but I even think I think even the word cool exotic do it. could be construed as like a. Well, for, you know what I mean. For maybe for the time and the period or whatever. Right. But, but I yeah. just I just know that there are some people who are like not white who are for example maybe asian or of asian descent who would be like oh, i'm sick of tired of people calling me exotic just because i'm sure. not a white yeah. person and it's like you mm -hmm. know that can be con i i don't know if that's exactly what they're what they're even going for here i think that's just like well maybe i don't know who am i to say but yeah i i definitely didn't get that impression on the first read like i didn't i didn't get the impression that they were trying to do a quote-unquote dragon lady thing right. i think that they're Right. They're being they're being much more respectful with the characters here. And I it is cool that uh you know, the lobster Johnson was like, Fuck you, goddamn imposters, you know, and sure, actually yeah. kind of addresses the idea of like, hey, this is actually awful that these white dudes are dressing up like like indigenous peoples right. and, and shit like that. So I think that they're trying to at least shy away from doing straight up racism. Right. <laughs> and maybe reinterpreting this pulpy feel into a more modern way of telling a story, yeah, for example, because sure. you know, yeah, true, yeah, yeah. We cut back to Cindy, Harry, and the Lobster. Cindy tells Harry that he turned her into bait by giving her all that information last night. Harry says he thought if he told her everything, she would stop snooping around. And we reveal the lobster's hideout. So yeah, I really like this. Yeah, lobster hideout. He's got this car. It looks like it's got some like metal dome on the top. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, and look then at we, the plane. The lobster yeah. plane. Yeah. 
really cool. It's got the claw marks on the wings and on the near the tail. It's good. We see some guys playing poker and all this kind of stuff. So we see something covered with a sheet and there's like a some sort of thing that trap door that goes underground or something. A lot they of, got their own little like, well, wood shop over here. Yeah. I think it's something to do with the maintenance of the car because you notice like out of the yeah. thing, out of the oh, hole, right. there's some like wires going into the car. It just looks like a like a functioning Batcave. Someone yeah. <laughs> needs to clean up that spill before someone gets injured. <laughs> Cindy asks, what is this place? The lobster says, don't worry, you won't be here long. And he calls over Theo. He's this big dude. And Cindy asks if she can go home. Two of his men turn up dead, chasing you. And you think Walt's going to leave you alone, the lobster asks? Theo will take you to a hotel we use. You'll hole up there for now. And here, might come in handy. And the lobster gives her a pistol. So they've already got like safe houses set right. up and stuff like that for people who get too fucking involved, which I love. I also like how he gives her a gun as opposed to, no, my boy's going to take care of oh, you. Oh, yeah, you know, sure. Yeah, like, yeah, I do like that. She's all, he's all like, okay, he's going to take you to the safe house and hang out with you, but to here, just in case, here's a fucking gun. No, no, you can't do that, Cindy says. They're expecting me at the newspaper. That's okay, the lobster says. I don't need the publicity just yet. <laughs> Jeez. Cindy says, this is all backwards. She's not a criminal. Go after Wald. The lobster says, if I could find him, I would. Cindy says, you don't know about his secret mansion? The lobster says, everyone does. That's why he hasn't set foot there in three years. Don't strain yourself, Miss Tyne. And the lobster says, we're way ahead of you on this, obviously. Just kind of a snide remark, you know? Wait, Cindy says, what's today? Monday? Then he's up in Fairfield, Connecticut at the Empadrad Country Club. And then so there's this beat. Lobster turns around. He's like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, she does know. She, good. she knows more than they do, too. But I didn't find a reference to that country club. You know, I got to go check on that. Cindy explains she's got a connection with the coat check room there. And every Monday, Wald registers under an alias. Joseph now, Barr? Is that what that says? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joseph Barr. Look how he drew the building at night. That is how you do it. Yeah. You know yeah. you know how large that is, right? So you've got the scale. You know it's like a nice place, right? But he only drew the necessary information. Right. It's really beautiful. Wow. So cool. I mean, that, and you see him do this kind of thing throughout where just like Manola, he's using solid black to emphasize mm, yeah. the action, right? Or, or the object. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's an excellent point. We see Wald in the steam room, like he mentioned earlier. He's relaxing with his bodyguard, and suddenly the lights go out. He immediately looks spooked. What the hell just happened? The bodyguard says, blackout. And Wald just, like, slaps him. I like how he's like, is that why I take you to places? You tell me what I already know? Move it, idiot. So the guy goes outside, and he just asks the guards, hey, boss wants to know what gives. (laughs) Worst bodyguard ever. He really is. Right? The way the other guy answers, he, you know, it's like he says blackout. It like, happens all the time up here. Like so he's familiar right. with it, right? And it's all like, so what's he worried about? <laughs> For you, it will get even darker, a voice says. And they look over and they see the goggles of the lobster. So they start firing, but it looks like they hit the bodyguard instead, right? Is mm-hmm. that what happens here? Or is the lobster shooting at them? I guess we Both. don't really see. <laughs> Unclear. Because it's from inside oh. the room. So they see him. Then from well, inside the room where Wald is, we see the gunfire, and then the bodyguard comes in shot. Uh, yeah, I think that's the lobster. And based on the sound effect on this page and the next page, I'm just going to assume that that's his gun. Ah, uh, okay. Or uh, I could be wrong, because there's some back back and forth, but right. whatever. 
I love all this pulpy action here. So the bodyguard comes into the room. He's all shot. It's all right. He got Tommy and Goose, but we plugged him a few times, he tells Wald as he bleeds everywhere. Who, Wald asks, plugged who? And the lobster bursts in. And I love this panel as he just starts shooting and like the room is lit up by the gunfire. Yeah, it's really badass. The pacing is awesome in this scene. So Wald runs out in his towel into the locker room and through the dining hall. And just as he's about to make it out, Justice waits. And the lobster pops out again. I really like that. (laughs) Mr. Mr., you got the wrong guy, Wald says. I haven't done anything. Yes, Arnold Wald, you get others to do your killing for you, the lobster says. You're stealing. Always others. Where are they now? And suddenly this guy comes in from the country club. He's like, what the devil is all this racket? (laughs) So that with the flashlight, it gives Wald a chance to get away. He's like, dear heaven, you have a gun. (laughs) (laughs) So the lobster calls over to one of his guys, Massimo. I lost him. So we see Massimo. He's over by the car. And so he's like, I got him, boss. So he's going to like, I guess, uh, cut Wald off. I love the design of that car. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. I meant to look up like what kind of car that is. I, I, I don't know. I should have looked for that information. Yeah, pro- props to this this guy because I, I fucking hate drawing shit like cars. So. Yeah, and so this is really cool. This is a really well-paced scene. And I think he talks about this in the sketchbook also, Zonich. So Massimo tries to cut Wald off, but Wald ends up crashing through him. Those speed and, perspective lines really yeah. just make that action. And he's got like a bigger car too, so it kind of, and I think he had more momentum, so he was able to get past Massimo, so they lost him. We cut over to Theo. He's on the phone, and when he hangs up, he tells Cindy that Wald got away. So he talks like his W's or V's all the time. Yeah. You're going to have to stay here. Sorry. She's worried about staying in the same room as Theo, but he assures her he won't try anything. Okay, she says. I'll try to think of something else to worry about. And so we see the exterior of the hotel. It says Harry Hotel or something like that, right? At night, we see two of Wald's goons. They talk about how scared Wald is after 15 of their guys got hit in three days. Hey, where the hell did they come from? Suddenly, they see that couple from earlier, Kamala and the man in black. We cut to Wald and the man in white, Mr. Isog. And Does she like, not have any other clothes, though? I feel like she... That, this that might her? be the same day. Oh, okay. I think this might be the same day. All right. Coming back from the movie. Yeah, that's oh, what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right on. I wonder what movie they went to go see. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they went to go see The Passionate Plumber hey. with uh, yeah. uh, Buster Keaton. I was going to say, they probably went to sell Bogart film. <laughs> can, you imagine, <laughs> can you imagine this fucking guy sitting in a movie theater? Right. Everyone would be like, what's that smell? <laughs> You know that back then everybody smoked, so you never know. Oh, yeah, yeah. But still just him sitting there just like watching a fucking (laughs) comedy or something. Uh, The Passion of Plumbers uh, remake. Did you know that? Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, it was a silent film originally. So they were like, oh, let's do the... And and it was a play before that, so it was already pretty popular. But then they were like, well, now we got to do it with sound. Oh, okay. Should remake it now. What did they cast, like, The Rock? <laughs> I'd see it. <laughs> and so we get the idea that these are the mystics that Mr. Isog has been talking to Wald about. And Wald gives some Mr. Isog some more shit about smoking cigarettes again. They're here, a guard says, and Mr. Isog introduces them to Wald. Kamala and Raimund Dystel. Wald tells them that there's a guy after him. Four slugs didn't even slow him down. That's why he agreed to talk to you magicians, he said. 
Now that you're here, though, I can see I made a mistake, Walt says. I mean, it's goofy. Believe me, you're not going to stop this freak with a friggin' seance. Ryman, where are your manners? Kamala asks. Does a gentleman wear his hat indoors? Hey, Walt's papers on his desk start smoking and burning with black fire. He looks up. Disto is the black flame. So this is an awesome, this is a really cool panel, yeah. Jeez. So I really wasn't expecting this one where I started reading the story, right. and then um, once I was just like, "Oh right, there was an earlier Black Flame yeah. before uh, Mister Pope." Man, this guy is creepy looking, and but of course he's the Black Flame, so kill him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, we saw a picture of the Black Flame on an old airplane in BPRD, the dead. And then we saw the dead body in the display case in Mr. Pope's Nazi shrine in BPRD, The Black Flame. That version was a Nazi, right? Yeah. I think he even had the armband with the swastika, whereas this one isn't. Ah, okay. Or at least not, you know, he's seemingly. Not right here, yeah. Not only is this like an old school uh, and slightly different version, this is like the more authentic version of The Black Flame Mm. compared to Landis Pope. Right. you know, obviously he was idolizing him, but also we know that this might just be the beginning of this character. Yeah. Because, because we know he eventually, you know, ends up wearing more of a Nazi uniform. Right, right. And so, yeah, that's what I was going to ask is what did you guys think of this idea that it's like a mantle? You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah, that that's interesting that they went that route because it, it really broadens the storytelling ability for this you know character. You can really... I think it really opens it up in, in a good way for this universe. That black flame, he's a bad A. Gonna give him the old one-two on the kisser and knock his block into next Tuesday, see? Uh, (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I mean, seriously, though, this is, you're right. This is like, okay, yeah, Landis Pope was obviously idolizing something. We had a little bit of insight when Johan found that scrapbook with the photo. And so now it's like, okay, how big of a deal was this? Well, we already know somebody wanted to emulate his power and took his mantle but okay tell us why now right so that's just another thing they do in the hellboy universe is they always build in the potential or the opportunity to go back and fill in blanks yeah i love that yeah and and you know now they have like a real villain and it's been going on for a while so there's like you know i mean this isn't even like his origin right 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 so they're still just dropping us into the middle of a story. Oh, yeah. The best characters and the best stories are written in a way that when you're introduced to a character, as it, it's as if you're being brought into their life at this point, and their story has been going on all along. Right, yeah. So clearly you, you know the backstory, like the, the writer knows the backstory for his, his or herself, but also um, they're leaving potential to expand on the backstory even. Yes, they leave those little moments open so that way they can come back in later. I love that, too. On the other hand, we don't really need more Black Flame. That's that's exactly exactly what I was thinking. I was like, oh, here we go. (laughs) Least favorite. And we also, I love this cover also by Dave Johnson for Chapter 3. He does a great job with this time period, and... I started thinking about the covers, you know, other covers that he's done. He did those covers for BPRD Russia that kind of look like propaganda posters. 
And then he did those covers for BPRD 1947. They kind of fit with that time frame, and they had that black, white, and green look. Right. And then these covers definitely have a time period feel to them. And then think about all these different time period covers compared to the ones that he did on BPRD Wasteland, where they were like on the horses and stuff like that. Yeah, you've got it right there, Aubrey. So like, it's just really, really thinking about how much work Dave Johnson is putting into these covers. I think it's really interesting what he's done on the different series, you know, tailoring those cover art styles to whatever the story is. It's almost like he's doing like um, movie posters for the uh, yeah. issues. You know, I mean, each each and every one of them could be like hanging up on the wall. It, yeah. Like, oh, man. It, they're, they're all amazing. We open on three homeless guys. They stand around a burning barrow and warm their hands. They joke about what they did before the stock market crash. And so as they're doing this and as they're talking, they see this black fire kind of start to come out and rising out of the barrel. They're like, hey, what's that? And then it starts getting all over one of the guys. And so like the two others run off and this guy's getting engulfed, like his whole arms and torso get engulfed with this black fire. And then as we turn the page, this really grisly reveal, this is so messed up, like, his head is still flesh and, you know, and his body below the waist is still there. But just that middle part is all skeleton. That's yeah, so messed some up. fucked up shit. So he must have the ability to turn the fire off. Right. And yeah. like stop it just short of going through the bones or the head or something. And that's funny because, um, well, it's funny or, or ironic that we just read Lake of Fire where Liz is trying to, you know, get control of the fire yeah. to that degree where she can just isolate or pinpoint and then shut it off right well this guy you know he's mastered that yeah and we see him in the background as we zoom out of this grisly dead body when i first was reading this like these first couple of pages i was thinking is is this gonna be some origin story for this guy oh okay. Uh, because you know like this flame just comes out of the dumpster i mean like the dumpster the um oil oh. barrel and then you know it turns and it's like no the Black Flame's just a dick. He, these right. three guys were just warming themselves up, talking about their hardship, and then he's just like... Pfft. Yeah, you're right. For no apparent reason. For no apparent reason, sure. Uh, what a douche. We see the hotel again here. It's called the Harvey Hotel. And we see Theo asleep. Cindy tries to sneak out, but Theo wakes up when she turns the doorknob. Come on, you can't keep me here forever. She says, it's been three days. I have a job for Pete's sake. Theo says, the boss said to lay low. And she's like, you could pretend you didn't wake up, and then the guy with the goggles can't blame you, can he? Is that how you do your job, Theo asks? You pretend? And then she's like, fine, she slams the door. I really like that panel. Well, in the color. The color, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really punctuates that. Cindy slams the door. We have to lie low, by the way, Cindy tells Theo, because he said lay low, right? Okay. Whatever you say, he says. We cut over to firefighters, and there's this building that's going up in all this black fire. And the firefighters, they're talking to each other. They're like, the water isn't working. And then suddenly the whole fire truck blows up. We cut over and we see Kamala, Mr. Isog, and Wald. They're watching this whole thing from afar. And Wald's happy. It's unlikely he'll be connected to this spook show. This fire is an attempt to draw out the lobster. Wald doesn't care about that as much as he says... Now he can round up the whole neighborhood for a song. He can leave town. The whole point was to make money. Kamala hands Wald the binoculars and says, There's something you should see. We see the black flame 
emerge from this burning building. Really cool. Uh, really good pacing here. Super creepy. Wald says, that asbestos suit is awful scary looking, I have to say. So he thinks it's made of asbestos or whatever, this costume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Suddenly there's gunfire. The lobster's on the rooftop. There's a special place in hell for arsonists, he yells as he shoots down at the black flame. You can test out your black flyer when you get there. And then suddenly the black fire starts to come towards the lobster. So again, we see this, you know, the black flame can control all that. The lobster calls to Harry. He must have rigged the rooftop, he says. So even the lobster isn't thinking like, this guy can't right? he can control it, right? Yeah, he's not thinking it's a supernatural thing. He's right. just, yeah. We got you covered, Harry says. And we cut to Harry in the car. He's in there with Massimo. And Massimo, he's a little overconfident, right? He's like, relax, Harry. Put your feet up and light your pipe. I'll have this wrapped up quick as a wink. And the lobster shoots at the black flame. And suddenly Massimo jumps out. He's like, hey there, Jackson. Let's say you quit that. And he's got this machine gun. He starts shooting at the black flame. Awesome page here, right? I love this page. Yeah. Massimo's dumbfounded with Harry in the background. And we see the black flame and like all the bullets just went through him, right? But you can see that they left marks all over. Yeah, just really awesome. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. His clothes well, are all and- tattered and torn and it's just crazy. And the look on their faces, everyone, they're all thinking, that's not a suit. Right, right yeah. Except for Mr. Isog and Kamala. Right, they look pretty pleased with themselves. Mm-hmm. The lobster leaps off the building and lands on a rooftop that says, A. Hauser Bush Ice Cream Luncheonette. And so this made me think of Anheuser-Busch. The roots of this brewery date back to the mid-1800s, and I read an article on their website called The History of Anheuser-Busch. It said the brewery's bleakest period began at midnight on January 16, 1920, when national prohibition became law. Rather than close its doors, as more than half of the nation's brewers did, Anheuser-Busch diversified and remained in business. They released products such as soft drinks, truck bodies, and ice cream. In preparation for Prohibition, Anheuser-Busch also released Bevo, a non-alcohol cereal beverage, in 1916. So there is some historical backing to them making ice cream. Yeah, I was going to bring that up too because I do remember hearing that. I watched something like 20 years ago that was talking about before Prohibition, there were like hundreds of breweries all over the all over the united states and then after during prohibition like anheuser bush and miller coors and all those were able to stay in business because they did diversify their product and then after prohibition was ended we were left with like those four crappy beers and it took (laughs) it took so long for local breweries to start back up again yeah yeah. it took like over 100 years but now um now anheuser bush are going up buying all the local craft breweries yeah and people are complaining like oh there's so many different why has everyone got a brewery now well that's the way it was originally is that it was all independent craft brewers and now people don't know Mm. any fucking history at all and they're like no, it's only I drink right. shitty, shitty water flavored beer. Like <laughs> that's you know, pissed. Everyone out. has this image of beer like that. It's supposed to come off of a gigantic factory line. It's supposed to be a humongous corporation, or else I right. can make fun of it. And it's like, actually, the whole origin of beer is that people made it in their fucking houses, yeah, oh, and then yeah. started. Up, you know what I mean? And so, like you know, now that the country's like you said, it took so long to recover from that. People are just starting to mm-hmm. get back to the roots of home brewing and all this sort of thing that people are thinking it's some 
newfangled fad right when it's the opposite is true well then there were also like the way the laws were structured exactly uh, prevented like home brewing for the longest time actually i think recently in texas now that something was overturned to where yep. like the the mm-hmm. independent brewers kind of got a little bit okay. of a, a win yeah on some yeah. stuff so that's nice. good to that's yeah. good to hear they can sell their beer in in from direct from the brewery now and right, some, right. Stuff like that anyway that's one thing I love about like small craft breweries. I like going whenever I go to a different town. I'm like, give me your local beer. You yeah, know? yeah. You know, give me your give me your local craft beer because you know I I drink like the ones here in Houston. But if I go to like Seattle or Portland or San Diego or right, right, anywhere, that's what I want. I want the sure. local. Give me the local yeah. flavor. Yeah. If there's one thing I've learned about assholes is that any opportunity they can take to make fun of someone for something, <laughs> they will fucking take it. And so I just feel like of all the things, like what a stupid fucking thing to want to experience. A very local, creative yeah. thing that you can mm-hmm. imbibe and enjoy with your friends. And by the way, if you're if you're sober, like I, you know, sorry to don't mean to exclude you or whatever like that. But I mean, it's just something that, or it's like a like a whatever a, a local restaurant or a local you know yeah. sandwich guy. Like he's he's not a chain. He's a guy. He's offer you see what he has to offer. You know, support these local yeah. businesses. Yeah. There's no reason to fucking oh why is there going to be eighty thousand different kinds of beers? Because life is fun. Because it I makes mean, life nice. <laughs> choices are great. Experience something that someone put their heart and soul into to create to bring you these different flavor profiles. Yeah. Or whatever the fuck. Like I'm not right. some sort of a beer snob, but I do think that that's. That's something that's cool. I think having locally owned, locally run creative businesses, whether it be beer or sweaters or sandwiches or books or whatever the fuck, I think that's better. Yeah. Than yeah. having giant corporations fucking run everything. Anyway. Yeah. I'm on a, I'm on a kind of a tear with the rants. Sorry. Somebody put a quarter in you for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but on that note, I'd like to shout out Under the Radar. Under the Radar. Here in Houston. Also, Eighth Wonder and... Eureka Heights. Eureka Heights. Those are great ones. Do you have yeah. some local breweries you'd like to shout out, Matt? Oh, sure. Uh, Left Hand, mm. Whibby, Mountain Sun, Bootstrap. Nice. Those uh, all sound awesome. Yeah. I want to yeah. drink all Oscar those beers. Blues. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them. We yeah, used there's to, tons. We used to live that? right next to Under the Radar, and it was originally just out of somebody's garage. It's literally in a neighborhood. Yeah, and they yeah. so they yeah. have this... It's a cute little, you know, garden where you go sit and you have these, literally these home-crafted beers. Yeah, it's very it's nice. And I also want to shout out to my friend Kevin, who also makes his own beer Aww. in Austin, and it's it's tasty. But do you know what it's called? It's his own stuff he makes for his house. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he makes cool. he makes his own beer. That's neat. <laughs> nice. That's fun. The lobster, he calls for Lester. We see this red-headed guy on a motorcycle. Lester says, be right there, but they have a problem. We cut over and we see the Black Flame has Massimo. And the Black Flame says infant. That's that little word that he says as he's holding Massimo up. That's a weird diss. Because yeah. I feel like babies don't know what they're doing. They have <laughs> Well, maybe that's what he's saying. He's saying, you don't know what you did by jumping out thinking you're going to shoot me with this Tommy gun or whatever. I like how the street sign is melting. Oh, yeah. It's oh, all melted. yeah. That's a great it's detail. Cool. I love that. And Harry tries to run down the Black Flame. But when he gets there... They're already gone. Where are they, the lobster ass? And Harry just looks off wide-eyed as a trail of black smoke goes into the air. We cut over to this building. It's at night, and we see Massimo dead. He's got half of his face burned off. Kamala kneels over his body with a knife. She tells Wald that this procedure demands a strong stomach. Wald says his stomach is plenty strong. And next thing we see, 
Kamala has disemboweled Massimo and made a circle of blood around his body. She sits within it. She's like meditating or something. Yeah, pretty grisly. Wald wonders why the Black Flame didn't kill the lobster when he had the chance. Izog says the lobster has help. They don't know how many. Wald wonders how spilling guts all over the floor will help with that. You will see, Kamala says. Everything this man knew, I will know. And so some green smoke starts to rise from Massimo's wound and Kamala like inhales it, right? I guess, yeah. Yeah. It's like she's inhaling his spirit or essence. Right. What the hell have you got me into, Wald yells at Isog. And Isog just lights a cigarette. At first, Wald is pissed, but then he's like, all right, this time it's okay. It covers the damn stink. <laughs> it's like you're starting to see the um, his controls slip away from Yes, you. exactly. Kamala says they must hurry. And the black flame turns to burn the rest of the body. Over with the lobster and his crew. The lobster blames himself for letting Massimo get too close. And he asks, who called Theo today? Harry is pretty shook up from the whole thing. And the lobster tells him to call Theo. I like where, you know, Harry's kind of freaking out and the lobster just kneels in front of him. He, he's like, call Theo at the hotel. He kind of like gets him back on track. At the hotel, Theo answers. Harry asks him how Miss Tynan is holding up. Theo says she tried to run off last night, but today he taught her how to swear in Romanian. So they were up until late. She sleep right through. Wait, oh no, Theo says. What is it, Theo? Harry asks. And suddenly, the whole building blows up. Yeah, so that's so, pretty crazy. So much for Harvey's Hotel. Yeah, really. Um, right. Yeah, the lobster is a total cipher. The way he's like, call Theo at the hotel. I mean, he, he does. He says it's his fault. He shows some remorse. But then he's like, let's just get right back to justice. Yes. Chapter 4. Another great cover by Dave Johnson here. And they do look like movie posters. I, do yeah. li- I, I really like that analogy, Aubrey. We open seeing that Cindy was outside when the hotel blew up. She was calling her boss at the paper. So she survived. Harry tells the lobster that they have to get over to the hotel. The phone cut out as he was talking to Theo. Wait, listen, the lobster says. And someone starts shooting at them. It's Wald and his goons. They've come into the lobster's hideout. So how did they find it? Well, she inhaled his essence because she said she oh, was going to know you're everything. right. Oh, yeah. Yes, now they have Massimo's knowledge. Thank you for that, Aubrey. That was one thing I was thinking about. You clowns thought you could fuck with me, Wald yells. You thought you could hide? I own this goddamn town. He shoots into the lobster's hideout, blowing all this shit up. You were pretty tough up in Connecticut. Much has called me a coward, Wald yells. What do you think of me now? Feel the claw. Feel the claw. <laughs> the yeah. lobster yells and he shoots Wald in the hand and he shoots the henchman right in the head. Wald runs off. Finish him off, he yells. And the henchmen shoot at the lobster. How's about you feel some lead, flyboy, one says. But That's not n- as good of a, of a thing to say. That's not as good. His as catchphrase. Feel the claw. That's a strong... <laughs> The comeback's a little oh, wishy-washy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, lame, You should have thought a little bit more about that one, yeah. And they're no match for Lobster Johnson. So then the lobster hears this, somebody say, Kiefer Man? I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. But I tried to Google Translate that, and it, it just translated into the same phrase. So I don't know what that means. Kiefer Man? I don't know. Anyway, let us know if you know what that means. 
we get this awesome image of the black flame in front of the lobster's plane. It's all set ablaze in black fire. I really love how Zonich, they give him time to just do some of these awesome splash images, yeah. you know? Yeah. These these moments really are able to breathe, and yeah. it, it helps the pacing of the storytelling so and It's much. just super creepy, too. It's the super way creepy, exactly. That's, guy. yeah. Over at the exploded Harvey <laughs> Hotel, Cindy feels bad about Theo. She watches the building burn as people are frantically looking for survivors. They say the fire is spreading. I like this little detail of how the guy is like repeatedly clacking the phone. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Like, clack, clack. That's very satisfying. And then he's like, operator, operator, because like if you did, you know, clack it a thousand times back in the day, the operator would pick up. Oh, okay. So I think that's a nice little, nice little subtle detail. Right, right. Can you imagine hanging up the phone over and over and expecting someone to answer you now? Right. <laughs> like that's just such a weird concept to me. I'm, I, you know, I never, I never was alive during that. So that's just such a foreign concept to me. It's interesting. All right. I've seen some videos on YouTube. They're pretty funny where, you know, a parent or somebody, they'll give some kids these days, you know, they'll give them the sure. old rotary phone. Yeah. And w- one video I saw, the, the man was like, if you can figure out how to make a phone call on that, I will pay you. I forgot how much. And they could not figure out that you got to no. turn the, you got to turn Seriously? it for each number. That seems obvious. That part seems kind of obvious. They yeah. didn't know what it meant. They were like, what is, what does this do? And all this kind of stuff. So <laughs> anyway, it was really interesting. But yeah. That's kind of funny. As Cindy is looking over everything in all the madness, she sees Mr. Isog and he's just standing there watching the blaze. He looks pretty pleased with himself. And uh, I love the pacing here as they yeah, make eye contact. Yeah, he's a creepy it's little creepster. It's really creepster. great, yeah. I saw gets in a car, and Cindy jumps in the cab. Follow that car, she says. The cab driver says, are you nuts? I'm practically deaf from the blast, and I can't drive with blown-out windows. And so she pulls the gun on him. Mister, I said, follow that car. Jeez. <laughs> I like how he references a city ordinance. Jeez. Like there's, like they had to make an ordinance because people were driving around New York without windows. Oh, right. Wow. <laughs> Back with the lobster, the black flame goes after him, and Harry tries to give him cover with gunfire, but the black flame just kind of like throws him aside with a gesture or something. So I wonder well, how his powers were. Well, or... no, I mean, look, it looks like he's kind of like uh, shooting flames out of the oh, uh, okay. those turret things, and so that's put that pushes Harry. I don't know, man. It's like dark magic. Right. There's no explaining it. Oh, I didn't say it was explained. I'm just oh saying, no, 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 I'm just I'm saying yeah. he's like. I'm he, agreeing with you. Yeah, it's it's a lot of weird shit going on in this panel. But if you also think about it, like he walks up, sees that thing, and goes, "I'm gonna put some flames out of there just sure. for dramatic effect." Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then this one guy, he tries to hose down the black flame, but to no avail. Right. He's like, "Never oh, understood right. that fight fire with fire business when you got water, and then it doesn't do anything." <laughs> I think it's funny how he thinks he can just like put him out like a match. Right. That's kind of hilarious. And I know Matt hates the black flame, but I also kind of like, like, through this whole scene, they're all running and everything, and he's just, like, casually walking through this thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? He just, like, gives them the hand. Yes. (laughs) Well, and you you don't hate him because it's bad writing or a shitty villain you hate him because he's a good villain which means it's good writing yes exactly it's 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 a testament to the to the writers and the storytellers of what a good job they're doing by making you hate this character so much because it's it's not like fuck that character because i can't even read any story he's in because it's just shitty it's like fuck this guy because the storytelling is so effective that you're emotionally invested in what's going on is that not accurate Oh, yeah. Wald runs up to Kamala in the car. He asks her to take off. 
She says she told him it wasn't wise to show his might, so she probably had warned him against storming the lobster's base. Wald says she and Frankenstein back there aren't running the show. And as Wald reaches out to Kamala, she like puts him in this wrist lock or whatever. She like turns the tables on him. He will stay when it's done. Then tell me whose show it is, she says. Back with the black flame, having just extinguished the fire, the lobster calls down to him. Triumph eludes you, arsonist, he yells. And then he like goes down on this giant hook. I just love all this pulp action. It's so it's awesome. Good. Yeah. So a little good. sound effect as he's riding that hook down or whatever on the chain. The lobster lands and he pulls back this sheet, revealing this enormous giant Fucking. machine gun. And Ugh. it's pointed right where the black flame is walking up the stairs. It's more like a cannon, isn't yeah. it? Not? Yeah. Boom, the lobster fires the gun. It's kind of like those kind of guns you see on the sides of battleships. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, it's all that's, bolted to the ground and everything. <laughs> that's like surface-to-air yeah. heavy artillery, right? <laughs> Harry comes to inspect the rubble. I think that did it. And we see the smoking remains of Diestel. Outside, Kamala releases Wald. The heroes collect themselves. They still have to find Wald, Theo, and Cindy. Suddenly, they hear singing. And I love this effect, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Kamala's singing, and we see, you know, they've drawn, like, the... Uh, the notation, the musical yeah. notation. Yeah, behind her. I wonder if you played it, what it would sound like. Oh, I was like, yeah. I was wondering that, too, because, I mean, like, these are the notes. Somebody... Yeah, you could, yeah. Yeah. That's an awesome Easter egg. Yeah. Um, so damn, I should have tried just... to figure that out. She's just kind of singing instrumental, not using words, right? Right, and it's a like a... Uh, Aria or something, yeah. Yeah. Is that what you call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if you played that like on a whatever, a piano or something, what it would sound like. I think there are programs that you could put that in. I might... Anyway. You're going to fuck around with that. I just know it. <laughs> well, I know there are programs because like, I remember having one in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> Lester hears the singing and he says, it's beautiful. And suddenly his jacket starts to flame up with the black fire. And we see the black flame walking towards them. No, he was dead, Harry exclaims. We hit him with a foreign shell. How can he be alive? We still see Kamala singing. Lester runs off. We can't stop him, Harry, the lobster says. Get out. Nobody lives forever, boss, Harry says. And Kamala is still singing. So her singing is somehow fueling him, fueling yeah. the fire or something. It's an interesting right? twist yeah. I did not expect. And the black flame holds out his hand. And then all of a sudden, wham, Kamala is hit by a car. The black flame stops. Yet another twist that right. I didn't expect. <laughs> and he starts running towards Kamala. And, and we see that she's dead. I translated what he says there. Klein. It wasn't coming up until I capitalized the K. And it means little one. Ah, okay. Because uh, when so I trans- that's what he's calling her. Yeah, when I translated it, it said small. So I guess that's yeah. about the same thing. Can you imagine mm-hmm. being a evil sorceress getting taken out by a fucking car? Right. <laughs> Can you imagine being having all these sinister magical powers, and you're you're so powerful, you've got all this sorcery going on, and then you get hit by a fucking car, and that's how you go out? Yeah. That's just embarrassing. It's just such a mundane death for such a... Sure. She's supposed to be this, like, imposing dark sorceress, and it's like, she just gets fucking hit by a car. I'm sorry. And after her death, the black flame gradually collapses. His flame starts to go out. We can see, like, the sound effect makes me think he has, like, labored breathing as he's, like, lying there on the ground. The group turned towards the car that ran her down, 
and Mr. Isog gets out. Lester starts thanking him for saving their lives. Don't thank him. We see Cindy. She's got Isog at gunpoint. Because trust me, it wasn't his idea. So yeah, so she was like, follow that car. And then now we see this. So we can kind of fill in the blanks there. Chapter 5, another dynamic cover by Dave Johnson. I like how he draws all the characters. We open on Jake and Hansen again. The detectives, they investigate the aftermath of the battle. All the dead gangsters have the claw burns, except Camilla. We also see that they have the black flame in the back of the cop car. So how does that work, right? You know what I mean? Like, I just thought that was kind of funny. They just have him in the back of the car. It's hilarious. (laughs) We cut to Cindy in the car with Harry and Lester. She fills them in on her end of the events. She made a decoy out of pillows to escape the hotel, and she still feels bad about Theo dying in the explosion. She caught up to Isog with the cab, and he spilled all the beans to her. He said he can stop Kamala and the Black Flame as long as she didn't shoot him. You know, it was all a hunch, but it sure paid off. Who knew he would scare so easily? Scares easy, huh, Harry says. Well, if that's the case, I almost feel sorry for him. And we see Isog driving fearfully uh, with the lobster in the back seat. That's great, right? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's also like the first time we've seen him, like, you know, have any expression in his face other than that one smug I time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very and satisfying. Most of the time he's just like, then mm, the one smug after the explosion, and now. <laughs> yeah. I know, it's very satisfying. We cut over to Wald. He's getting oh, a bullet gross. removed by the home surgeon. This is where the lobster shot him in the oh, arm. That's so gross. He asks where Isog is. And he talks about how all his guys got wiped out. He's a sitting duck. The surgeon thinks he's a delirious for talking about black fire. He tells him to go to bed and rest for 24 hours. He's lost too much blood. If he runs, he's taking his life into his own hands, the surgeon says. We see the lobster and his crew outside the hideout. They prepare to go inside. The lobster tells Cindy, someone needs to keep an eye on Isog. And she recognizes it's his way of keeping her outside. But she asks for a better gun. The silly little Ivor Johnson has got to go, she says. (laughs) Yes, get a bitch. (laughs) Ivor Johnson was a U.S. firearms, bicycle, and motorcycle manufacturer from 1871 to 1993. Harry and Lester create a diversion... Right, by breaking in through the window. I really love this page, too. Yeah. Um, as they're, yeah. like, getting ready, and then they burst in there. But we reveal that nobody's there. They start to think that Isog was lying. And the lobster, he's over in the basement, it looks like, and he smells creosote. This is a category of carbonaceous chemicals formed by the distillation of various tars and pyrolysis of plant-derived materials, such as wood or fossil fuel, They're typically used as preservatives or antiseptics. Interesting. The lobster says it's to mask the smell, and he finds this bloodied skull there on the ground. So he's like all in darkness, and then Harry opens the door, I guess, eating down to the basement, and so it shines the light down there. And the light reveals cannibals! (laughs) Good lord, cannibals! And then the lobster starts firing on them. Awesome page. Amazing reveal by Zombie. Like how he just goes, cannibals, and starts shooting. Yeah. Like how they call zombies cannibals, too. Yeah, interesting. Amazing panel as Harry joins him in shooting all all the zombies, cannibals, whatever. They're totally Yeah, they are zombies, aren't they? Yeah. 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 But it's funny. It's a very pulpy kind of a thing. Right, yeah. And There's we, just something well, funny about this panel where he's yelling that and you yeah, start yeah. shooting. I love that he calls them cannibals the way he keeps calling the Black Flame 
arsonist. Oh, sure, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's right. labeling people by their crime. Yes, oh, that's amazing. Like, cannibalism yeah. is not legal. You're right. a cannibalist, right? Yeah. yeah, I love that, Matt. Thank you for pointing that out. That's amazing. But I don't even think it's it comes down to just what's legal because when you think about it, you know, quote unquote, and this is so this gets thrown around a lot, but. What the Nazis were doing were quote unquote legal because oh, right. they made it legal. Mm-hmm. So like right. the right. law, like he 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 is trying to enforce justice, which doesn't necessarily always coincide with what is quote unquote lawful. Right. So right. I think right. that the injustice he's labeling injustices perhaps yeah, is maybe I more like accurate. That. I like that. And didn't we didn't we do like an episode where we talked about somebody making his cooking his foot so cannibalism technically isn't illegal? Oh, gross! Oh, I think we. T- <laughs> Thanks for bringing that grizzly Aww. fact up, Aubrey. <laughs> we spent three episodes talking. I about know it. we did. We talked about that for quite a while. Gross, Thanks for bringing you guys. that back up. Come on. And so, yeah, as the scene goes on, we start to get the idea that this was Isog's plan all along. He led them to where these cannibals were because we see that one's outside the door. Where Cindy and Mr. Isog are in the car. He's got his smug face again. Yeah. <laughs> Back with the lobster, he and Harry are driven upstairs by the cannibals. Run, the lobster yells as he throws this grenade. I love the look of his grenades. They're like these long yeah, cylinder great. type things. Yeah. They are more like zombies, like Aubrey said, because we see after being blown up, some of them are still coming. Yeah. You know. The lobster lost his gun, and so he just starts punching through them. I love all this, man. <laughs> such great, such great panels. Well, the action is so dynamic. It's really well done, and all the sound effects. I wonder if those sound effects are part of the pencils. They have to be, right? Uh, I guess so. I, I think it is. because like, I think uh, a lot of them are. Yeah. Because when you see in the sketchbook, he talks about uh, the word blam mean uh, something different. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, right. And it is it is interwoven in between the... The background and the right. foreground and the, the people. Really, really great pages during this fight scene. One of the cannibal st- zombies starts shooting at the lobster, too, so they can, like, fire guns and shit like that. That's <laughs> oh, really <yeah>. cool. <laughs> Lester thought these things only lived in the sewers. So I think this was mentioned in the Iron Prometheus when they were going into the lobster's hideout in that underground tunnel. They talked about cannibals being down there oh, or something right. like that. Yeah. So I thought that was a nice touch. Since when do they break into houses? We broke in, Lester, the lobster says. They're the guests. (laughs) Outside, we see Cindy was able to fend off her attackers. So, yeah, she's got some some skill, too. You know what I mean? Even though um, they kind of ambushed her, but Isaac got away. I'm fine, by the way, she says. (laughs) (laughs) The trap wasn't set tonight, the lobster says. It took months of planning. He's a very, very deliberate man. Who, Cindy asks. Wald or the guy who brought us here? Exactly, the lobster says. That's good. The lobster says Cindy's in more danger than ever. We'll find a place for uh uh-uh, Cindy says. A lot of people were murdered with them trying to protect her. I liked Theo a lot. It wasn't his fault, she says, as she hands the lobster back his gun. I just don't think you're as good as this crime-fighting thing as you think you are. I thought that was a a bit harsh. (laughs) But she's right, though, you know what I mean? It's better than him not doing jack shit. Sure. It's like, just because someone failed doesn't mean they weren't trying their right. best. Like, I don't know. It's kind of like, would you would you rather have someone at least trying to stop this shit or someone just being like, well, I guess I'm not great at it. I'm not perfect and I'm not completely obliterating the enemy. So maybe I should just fucking stop trying. Sure. But from her point of view, she knew where Wald was and they didn't. 
Right. She was able to escape Theo, who was supposed to be keeping an eye on her. Right. And then she is the reason why Kamala got run over, because she followed Isog in the cab and then held him at gunpoint and all this shit. So, really, without her being part of this adventure, they would have failed miserably more than they already did. Who sure. knows what have, what would have happened if she didn't run down Kamala. Then why the- isn't she out there in a fucking lobster costume trying to stop the crime if she thinks she's so fucking good at it? Because well, she's oh, a reporter. She's, up- she's upset about the casualty, right? Yeah. yeah. Hey. And she says she belongs. breaks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she says she belongs back at the paper. She gets in the car and says they don't have to worry about her writing it all up. They did save her life, so that's worth a pass on a major story. And so she's taking a breather in the car, and then the lobster approaches. Not so fast. (laughs) (laughs) We cut to Wald. He's resting like the doc told him to, and he wakes up to Isog standing over him. The hell you doing here, Wald yells. Isog says, this was the rendezvous point. Wald gets mad at him after Kamala tried to overpower him. Isog says he knew there were risks involved. Risks, though, can be managed. And he tells Wald that Kamala is dead. And the black flame is no longer a threat. And he opens up his cigarette case. Wald is pleased with him. And Isog tells Wald he lured the clawman to the house with the sewer dwellers. Even though Wald had other plans for that. No better plan than yours, Wald says. But his enthusiasm quickly wanes when Isog lights up a cigarette. And then there's a beat. And he's like, hey Ted, bring me a coffee cup or a saucer or something. <laughs> I just don't want no ashes on the rug, you know? And Isog's like, of course not, sir. So here the power dynamic has clearly shifted. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's, an interesting, uh, it's an interesting tool for that. Right. I really like that. This guy's very fucking rude, though. I will say. I wouldn't just like light up a cigarette in somebody's fucking house. Right, right. Well, at the <laughs> yeah. time, you could light you a could, cigarette yeah, on the plane, in, a plane or, you know, exactly. in front of a baby if you wanted to. <laughs> no, the doctor was smoking over your bed in the hospital. That's right. <laughs> as he was like fixing his wound. Sure. Sure. We cut over to the police station. We see Jake and Hansen. Cindy enters with a newspaper under her arm. The detectives say they were beginning to worry about her. Anyway, Eckert was. Like, they're like, not me. That other guy. So I, like you- how, I like how he used the hatching here on the newspaper to try and... Um, it almost mimics, like, a halftone effect. Ah, okay. Which I think is very cute. So you read Yeah, a- actually, that's going to come up again once we get it to the sketchbook. Ah, yes, yes. There's a great, Matt has a great note about that. So you read about how me and Loverboy here nabbed that gangster killer you've been hunting, Hanson asks. Boy, the Post scooped you guys on that story, all right. Is that a fact, Cindy asks, and she drops the Herald Tribune. On the front cover is the lobster. The headline reads, Vigilante Justice? The end. Good shit. Yeah, so... You know, she was like, I'm not going to write about you guys. Don't worry about it. But then the lobster's like, not so fast. So did he, so did he tell her? No. You That's need to- when he needs some. Remember earlier, he was like, I don't need the press just yet. Maybe he does. Oh, now. right. Yeah. Thank you for bringing up that callback. You're absolutely right. Awesome. And yeah, this picture on the cover of the lobster reaching out with the burning hand. The name of the story as well is just a really nice way to, to wrap it up. Oh, and in the I never I didn't notice this before in the corner. It says T-O-Z-O. And that's uh, Zanyich's little sign-off. Yeah. That's how he uh, signs things. Yeah. Pretty cool. And so, uh, great sketchbook on this book. Yeah, I really, I, I really there, like There's that. this funny little cartoon where 
it's uh, I guess this is Zanyich looking at his pencils and he's like, how the hell did I do these? <laughs> and the little note says, I'm not sure when I did this drawing, but I have this thought a lot. When you're drawing issue five, the first one could have as well been drawn by somebody else. Mm. Um, and I really like this next page. So Mignola provided a model sheet for Lobster Johnson. And so you get all the, you get a great Mignola sketch of Lobster from a bunch of different angles. And then you get all the little details little about details, his costume. Yeah. And, you know, all these little things like the top of the glove is folded down. These are what his grenades look like and all this kind of stuff. I really like that a lot. And also could help a cosplayer out too. Oh, hey, for sure. there you hey. go. Yeah, sure. This is uh, exactly how I used to design clothing. Ah, okay. Cool. So when I designed backcountry ski clothing, we would just draw it out nice. and have all these, like, you know, have a million notes all over the place. On this next page, Zanyich writes, A detail of the pencils. For the most part, they were too precious. No need for so much detail when you're inking it yourself, really. As the series progressed, the pencils got a bit looser. It took me a long time to figure out how to draw this book. I think he did an awesome job on this book. I mean, I don't, oh, yeah. you know, oh, I don't yeah. know what he's talking about. I think a lot of times they're... Artists are way too hard on themselves. Well, I think what he's he's saying is he didn't he didn't need to oh, actually go through that much detail. It's so careful and it's so like right. he's he's actually um, sketching out all the blacks instead of just xing it and moving on. And you know he's he was saying it maybe that his work got a little more efficient because he's inking it himself. So sure. he knows where the inks are going anyway. He doesn't need to actually fully yeah. sketch it out. So I think when he says that. It's too precious. He was like, oh, I was spending so much time making sure everything was just right and all this stuff when I really didn't fucking need to do that. Yeah. But I've, I'm i like that too. Like maybe he was just having so much fun sure. drawing the lobster at first. He's excited about it. He wants it to look nice you know, for himself. And then later he's like, I got to finish this book. I got to fucking, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but like you said, like artists are very hard on themselves, of course. And I think that he's just maybe describing how he got more comfortable with the process of drawing the book as time went on. Perhaps. I don't know. And I also like this too. Zonich provides some fake con sketches. He's like, I live too far away from any conventions. He's in Croatia. So he just draws, uh, drew his own con sketches in his living room. <laughs> Aww. That's awesome. They're really nice, though. And he also, we see a nice, very detailed picture of the warehouse layout, the lobster's hideout. And he says, one might think I had everything planned from the start. The thing is, I only did the sketch for issue four when the layout of the warehouse became very important. So this map is basically reverse engineered from all the panels that came before <laughs> it. For the most part, it matched up, but some things didn't, like the airplane. And so there's a note in the sketch that says, the airplane was here in issue one, and now it's here in issue three. He's like, lesson learned. But they could have wheeled the airplane around. You know, yeah, that's yeah, perfectly sure. plausible. We see the layouts for those action pages where he's fighting the zombie cannibals. And he talks about how his pencils got looser here. Blam could be read as shame in Croatian, which makes working on the sound effects a bit surreal at times. Better get it right, he says. After I read that, I was just thinking of like the Game of Thrones. Shame. Yeah. <laughs> shame. Well, it makes me think, wouldn't it be funny if the lobster was saying shame every time he shot somebody or something? <laughs> it fits. Uh, that's good. And then this is so cool on this next page. It's a bunch of doodles and sketches from the corners of the script. So I guess while he's reading the script, he's drawing out the characters right, yeah. and what he thinks their expressions are going to be or whatever. And he kind of collected it all for this yeah. page. That's a really cute idea. My but, margin doodles are not this fucking know, good, right? by the way. <laughs> the ghost Indian with Minnie Mouse feet is a popular favorite, he says. After I read that, I had to like look through. I was like, where is it? There yeah. it is at the top. Yeah, it's at the top. <laughs> 
And then we also see the car crash scene where he planned it. And so really cool how he like really looked at, okay, where are all the characters standing? Yeah. You know, what angle is the car coming from and this and that. That is so interesting. And he's even like drawn out like where the camera would be too. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is in the next page. This is where he put some hats should have done more Right. on the bottom. Oh, I didn't see this page. That's so funny. When I started on the book, Zanyich writes, I had an image of the lobster as a short, stocky fellow. So a lot of the early sketches have him shorter than six feet. During the series, the constant directive was, make him a bit taller, so you can see him change over the course of five issues. <laughs> I like that too, and then you see him trying to figure out how to draw the black flame. How do you draw the black flame, he writes, and how do you do it when it's surrounded by darkness? Well, like how he's like he's. It says like he's like. How do you draw black flame? Not like how do you draw the black flame? Oh, right, right. It's like how do you draw black fire? A black flame, yeah. Especially when like he was saying like it's dark. How does it? You know. So he he utilized. Well, he and Dave Stewart utilized these varying shades of gray, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, because I feel like when we've seen uh, the black flame in the uh, current issues, they use blue. Sure. As a uh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. It's artificial. Oh, oh, okay, okay. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Dude, as our leading black flame expert, <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> the attention to detail. And uh, on this next page, Zonich writes about being a huge fan of Roy Crane and Noel Sickles, both masters of Bende toning. And so you had a note about this, Matt, because I know nothing about this. Yeah, so that was really exciting to me the first time I read it because I'm a huge fan of old school comic strips. Hell yeah. And and it's funny because the reason I know who these guys were that he references is because I knew of other comic strip artists and, and writers. And it's funny because it was a really tight group in the 20s and 30s. And, and when you read about one, the, the article or interview or whatever will almost always mention other artists right mm. because they shared studios or influenced each other and uh noel sickles took over on a comic book called scorchy smith comic strip i think i said comic book it's a comic strip it was created by john terry now the only reason i know who john terry is is because his brother paul terry was a guy who created terry tunes and that's where you get mighty mouse heckle and jekyll oh, and some okay. other yeah. well-known oh. characters right so Noel Sickles I know of because he shared a studio with Milton Kniff, who was the creator of Terry and the Pirates, and later Steve Cannon, which was in uh, I was reprinted in in newspapers when I was a kid. Oh, okay. So both those guys, Noel Sickles and Milton Kniff, have very similar styles, and they actually took turns drawing each other's comic strips for a while. Oh, but nice. But Sickles was uh, the man when it came to using Bende Dot's halftone or also what they call Zipatone, which was they have an example of it. It could be Zipatone in that newspaper at the end of the fifth issue. Oh, uh, okay. and, and that's what you pointed out, Danielle. Yeah. The linear halftones. Yeah. So Zip, Zipatone, and you might know this if just from working in like the screen print industry or being a graphic artist. Uh, you have Zipatone to carefully was, cut out these like little things. Yeah, and then overlay them yeah, on top of it's the artwork. Fucking arduous. But in a lot of ways, it would make it more precise and efficient than yeah. doing by hand cross hatching, right? Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the results are just way more cleaner. Oh, but the, okay. the fastest way to do it was 
they eventually started to draw on textured paper. And so after you get your basic drawing, you go back with like ink or black watercolor or something and brush over the texture and you get these half tones. Yeah. Mm, and wow. so, yeah. So it's really cool, uh, fast way to do it. And I always like it because as a kid, I, I would look at those strips and go, all right, there's some degree of mystery here. How are they achieving what appears to be a mechanical yeah. uh, component, right? Yeah. Uh, like the dots are precise. Those lines are precise. I know they didn't sit there and use stencils, right? Or a ruler. <laughs> So, so it was just kind of fun to read it. And, you know, these were adventure strips and mystery stories. But then there, in the process, there was a whole nother level. The actual creative yeah. process. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating for sure. Well, when, then, I first, so, when I first found out about like a four color process printing that CMYK right, right. stuff, I was fascinated, fascinated. And I went down this huge rabbit hole of like learning about the rosette pattern and like how they the different layers, what they all look like and like how, how the final image is achieved and how you can get like photographic results from different like the halftone angle and the what what is this what is the science behind it is just fascinating and you know where technological concepts and art meet to create something totally unexpected totally new that you had never thought of before that process Mm -hmm. is so fascinating and that's yeah that's that's something that i've always been fascinated by as well so i definitely i feel you on that roy crane he started earlier than than those other guys i believe and uh, his tone was a lot looser and more cartoony, but he is credited with inventing adventure strips. Wow. So, you know, we wouldn't have comic books as we know them without that guy. Wow. Yeah. Especially not, not Lobster Johnson. So it's really cool that, you know, arguably the best Lobster Johnson artist, Zonich, he knows about these guys. Yeah. And he's yeah. into yeah. them. And it really comes through in his work. And I think that... It fits so well that, with that pulp yeah. story. It's really great. Perfect. Oh, that Perfect. is so important. Yeah. yeah. That really is... That really does lend a, a, a whole new layer to yeah, this Yes, it really does. It makes me want to go back and look at all these pages again. <laughs> I, I, I like this, too. This, like, little... It's like a... It's almost like a painting, but you—I mean—you can tell it was done with like markers. Right. He does a early doodle. The very a similar, loose, yeah, kind similar of to inky, that image at the at the end of issue one. It's really one. nice. I'm talking about the one with lobster, where it's just the eyes and the claw are orange. And, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's, very it's, cool. It's, it's on the same sketchbook page as all the skulls and the smoke. It's, I like it. We get a nice, you know, kind of like poster thing of Cindy Tynan, reporter, Herald Tribune. I like that loose, kind of sketchy feel. Yeah, I really dig that. The and the, the colors, colors are so yeah. interesting, too. Well, I like how he said it was a sketch of Cindy done on a um, piece of scrap paper, but uh, it turned out so well, he gave it the digital treatment. <laughs> oh, okay. Nice. And then uh, we also see Dave Johnson's processes for creating the covers. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so those are really that. cool. I like the I like this design of the first cover though. Uh, I, I guess this was a discarded design, but it's got like the hand, and then inside the hand you can see the lobster and they're burning somebody. That's pretty cool. Those but, other ones are so very um, like Fritz Lang, yeah, you know, like Metropolis and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, I like that first one too. I think that's very stylistic, but the other ones are appropriately stylish. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it does work better. I, the cover that they actually went with, I think, is a better choice. And then on these last two pages, we get the Mignola Year of Monsters covers. And these are so cool. You know, this one with the werewolf on it. Um, I love it. This is the one 
this is the year of monsters cover that I had the hardest time looking for because I, I, you know, I'm a back issue. The one with the werewolf is great. And I had, and I was trying to look for all these year of monsters covers. This is the last one that I got to complete the collection. It was the hardest one for me to find. I remember so, when you got that. You're yeah, so happy that with it. that image has a special resonance to me. And I also, I would love to see the lobster fight a werewolf. <laughs> Let's oh, see yeah. that story already. Or team up cool. with a werewolf. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so great to do the another Lobster Johnson episode. And I recorded it correctly this time. Uh, so man. it's not going to have that weird uh, stupid tin can sound. So anyway, it's been so much fun to talk about this series. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I try to forget about it, but I just can't. Aw. <laughs> So, anyway, we have another flashback episode next week. Um, sorry, Jason Abaddon. I know he's itching to get back with BPRD <laughs> Hell on Earth, but we will get there eventually. It'll be worth it. Join us again for another episode next week. I'll try to come up with some more throwback phrases to annoy everybody with. And now Aubrey's going <laughs> to say all the things. All right, everybody. Uh, share us your thoughts on Lobster Johnson, the Burning Hand. You can send us a "Hey, you damn guys" at hellboybookclub at gmail dot com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. And you can find the Discord link on our Facebook page along with the reading order. Also, check out our friends at Mignolaverse dot com for all the wonderful stuff they do over there. And thanks to Mark Tweedell for the awesome uh, reading order, yeah, the yeah. assistance that uh, he helps John with. Don't be all so the time. hard on your Mark. <laughs> and also thank you to Paul from Garterharn for the theme, the birthday song, and just the amazing music. Thank you. Very yeah. sweet, yes. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we are going to be reading Sledgehammer 44 and Lightning War. So, you know what to do. Plus your back issues, plus trades, plus your arms. Go to the library, you know, borrow them from a friend. You know, use Halls is fine. (laughs) (laughs) And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. I'm Matt Strackbine. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, taste justice, imposters. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Fill the fucking (laughs) claw.